This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello, everybody in the United States of Insurrection America. This is your Disaster Girls co-host, Jordan Cruciola. And me, Amanda Smith. (laughs) Here. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't provide any warning for that. So Amanda's reacting spontaneously. It wasn't that. I just, as you said, the the insurrection of the United States, my brain just went right the fuck back to last week. And I, I just... Yeah, had to pull myself into the present. Yeah, um, with the reality of like, oh right, yeah, things we still have to podcast. Well, and the exciting thing about the present, we can pivot to good vibes because yeah. we are not alone in the room. We have a guest today, a very exciting guest, one of my favorite people who I've ever worked with. Uh, guest, would you like to uh, announce yourself and tell the folks at home who you are? Why, hello. Um... I am Bilga Ibiri, and I am a uh, film critic for New York Magazine and Vulture. Uh, and yeah, that's that's about it. I've Bilga is a film too. critic. Bilga is is a film archive in and of himself. He is a he is a wonderful features writer. Don't let him just stop saying stop at saying a critic. He writes tremendous investigative pieces, features elucidating all manner of corners of film conversation, including the extremely important uh, talking point of stunts deserve, stunt people deserve Oscars, stunt Oscars for stunts. Uh, you are a loud and uh, essential voice in that. So yeah, I think you are the MVP Swiss Army Knife of the New York Magazine Vulture operation, in my opinion. <laughs> okay. All right, okay. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to say it. I'll say it for you. And so, Bilgo, what brings us here today to Disaster Girls. We are talking about uh, the Gerard Butler starring masterpiece Greenland. Greenland. Um, A film that gives away one of its main plot points in its (laughs) title. (laughs) We will not hold that against it. (laughs) (laughs) And you were, you reviewed Greenland for Vulture. And really, yeah. what would what would what's your quick synopsis for people then as we set the stage here? Um, well, it's it's uh, how to describe it. It is a disaster movie, obviously, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's a somewhat more grounded in realism disaster movie than other disaster movies starring Gerard Butler, of which <laughs> there are a few. Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's not quite a geo. If you're if you're here for Geostorm, this is not what you're gonna find in Greenland. No. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is the gritty, this is the new gritty take on disaster. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about Gerard Butler is that, you know, he's he's often playing uh, not quite an everyman, but kind right. of an ordinary guy type. Mm-hmm. Um, but in his other films, it's always like he's an ordinary guy, but he's a, you know, secret service agent or he's mm-hmm. an ordinary guy, but he's also a brilliant scientist who came up with this elaborate plan to save the <laughs> yeah. earth from, yeah. you know, um, but this time it's like he's an ordinary guy and he's an ordinary guy. I mean, yeah. well, but, but he's a, like a construction engineer or whatever, but like, yeah. that's it. Um, and uh, and this is one in which he uh, and his family receive an alert one day 
um, a presidential alert, quote mm-hmm. unquote, uh, telling them to get to the nearest airfield to be uh, taken to safety. And what's happening is the Earth has been told that uh, an, an asteroid is going to make a um, well, they've been told that the, 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 an asteroid named Clark is going mm-hmm. to be uh, <laughs> passing by the Earth and possibly sending a, a few pieces down. And people are excited about this. It's like the yeah. closest an asteroid has come in a, in a long time. Uh, but it quickly becomes clear that the asteroid isn't going to pass by Earth. It is actually going to uh, destroy Earth. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and a select number of people we discover have been um have basically been uh, sort of through a lottery system chosen to be taken to uh, shelters, mm-hmm. uh, basically fallout shelters of a sort to uh, to weather out the storm, to to weather out the geo storm, if you will, <laughs> yeah, um, the incumbent geo storm. Yeah. Um, and uh, our heroes are actually unable to board one of those flights mm-hmm. uh, for a variety of reasons. One of them being that uh, their son uh, is di- their young son is diabetic, and mm-hmm. it turns out that people with uh, medical conditions aren't actually allowed. Uh-huh. And this was a bureaucratic error that that you know that they were given the clear to to join. And anyway. But the the film actually involves them uh, basically driving through uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. in an effort to get to Canada, mm-hmm. uh, where they will, um, where where there are these bootleg flights yeah. that are going to Greenland, uh, which is where the, the these shelters are, um, and it's kind of like a, you know, it, it, it's sort of a very down to the ground. Uh, life-size kind of disaster movie mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. filled with lots of spectacle it's it's basically the story of this family um getting separated then trying to find each other and then trying to make their way even though they for the most part don't really know if these flights are real if the no. shelters are real and for the most part um they're they're convinced that they're probably going to die um yeah, yeah. and so for much of the film there is this sense of basically just doing what they can, even though they they realize that it's probably futile. And I think this this film instills such an interesting emotional response for, that I feel like in American movies, you really don't get very often in like a disaster movie. I was sure from pretty much as soon as they got the presidential alert, I was like, oh, they're going to die. Yeah. Like, and then once it happens at the airfield, it's like, this is going to be the story of a family heroically coming back together to spend their last moments with one another. And we're going to like have a fucking, um, what is the melancholia moment of like seeing the earth disintegrating like in front of them. And it's going to be dramatic. I was sure, I was so sure that this was going to end tragically. And we were just going to have this beautiful struggle of like making your last moments worth it the entire time. And I don't, God, it is rare for an American movie to make me sure. If this was an Indian film, we would have been completely, we had been like resigned to it. Oh, God, yeah. I did have in my notes from really early on, though, like he's Gerard Butler says really early on, I'm always going to be your father. I'm never going to leave you. And I just, that's my first note. And this is before they get the presidential alert or anything mm-hmm. he says this to his son, just about something else. Oh, yeah. Because him and his wife, him and his wife separation. are estranged. Yeah. Him and his wife are estranged. He's just moved back into the house. It looks mm-hmm. like he's staying in a separate bedroom, but they have come back into the house again because we learn later on in the plot that he stepped out on his wife when they were having some tough times. So yep. 
there's a yeah there's a we're coming to them as they are coming back to one another there yeah this is this is an estranged family reunited by disaster as we often see um, yes when i yes. saw as soon as he said that line to the sun i was like oh gerard butler's gonna die this is gonna be a whole movie watching gerard mm-hmm. butler get his family to safety and then like i was so sure in the in the last few when they get to that plane at the oh. end yeah. Yeah. And and by the way, like, as you all know by now, spoiler alerts on yeah. everything. We were not going to pull it. We're just going to talk. This movie's on on demand. You can watch it. Yeah. As um, you should. For as you as you absolutely should. Um, but yeah, when he they at the end, when he stopped, when they get finally gets the Canadian plane and they're like, we yeah. can only take two of you. I was like, OK, so now Gerard Butler dies. And he says, he's like, then just take my wife and yeah. son. I was like, well, that's it then. That's yeah. the moment we've been building toward. With the, you know, amazing, I forget the name of the actor, but he's my favorite part of Manhunt, oh. Manhunter on Netflix. Do you uh, remember his name, Bill, get off the top? <laughs> I don't remember uh, it. Holt McCallany, right? Is that? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Just like coming out, getting off, being the no-nonsense Canadian pilot who's who's asking, he asked Gerard Butler, like, he's like, <laughs> how much do you weigh? And he's like, 185. And he's, come on, man. He's like, okay, 210. <laughs> Like, we're going to be walking to Greenland with all you <laughs> yeah. on board. It was like, this is a wonderful moment. But it was like, oh my God, this is it. He's Now's the time for the self-sacrifice because, and I think that is kind of the genius trick that the presence of Gerard Butler plays on you mm-hmm. is there is that advanced aspect of realism kind of like in the way that Liam Neeson kind of gave us a little bit of that with Taken and then sort of ascended to this like superhero levels of untouchable as he kept making more and more like takens basically mm-hmm. whereas gerard butler's thing always as he discussed in his interview with you like he wants to feel like you could be him possibly in a setting where in a situation where you were put in these extraordinary circumstances as well and so it tricks you into thinking that terrible things might happen that aren't necessarily going to happen it's very effective well he's he's a he's a very vulnerable presence you know, I, I mean, more so now than he was earlier in his career. I mean, for yeah. obvious reasons, but, you know, um, and I, I, I wrote about this. Was it last year? Was it 10 years ago? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, what, I think it was. What, it was definitely it was like within the last two years you wrote a yeah. Gerard Butler piece for. I think it was um, I think it was Boulder. just last year. Um, but um, but yeah, an appreciation of Gerard Butler where, you know, despite his flaws and despite the fact that he often doesn't make great movies, mm-hmm. um there's something very compelling about him. There's something very, you, you know, he's not, you know, he's not perfect. He's, uh-huh. he's, 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 his face is a little lopsided. He's a little pudgy, <laughs> you know, the beard is kind of growing in ways that beards don't always grow. Like it's just kind of, but, but that's what's, you know, that you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I could never be that, but you're kind of like, maybe I could, you know, maybe if I tried really your, hard, he could live in your neighborhood. He could yeah. live yeah. in your building. Yeah. Gerard yeah. Butler. Right. And that's why actually the, the, the those early scenes of Greenland with the neighbors mm-hmm. actually hits like they yeah. totally feel like they live there. Yeah. And those people. I mean, the, the film is cast really well. Like, it's an it's, unbelievable cast. Yeah. This is All some of the neighbors, best I'm material like, Marina oh, yeah, Bakari really... has had to work with in years. Yeah. Well, this I mean, gave yeah. her dramatic room to like it chew on the screen at points. Yeah. But the neighbors look like they just had filmed in the middle of a neighborhood in North Carolina, which they did, but it looks like they just went to all the Catholic yeah. neighbors and were like, hey, can you just come and like pretend that you're going to a barbecue at Gerard Butler's house real fast? Yeah. Yeah. His little interaction with the, the neighbor over the fence. Yeah. Yeah. When he's, when the neighbor's like, how's it going? And Gerard Butler, like, 
kind of gives a half thumbs up. Yeah, because yeah. he's obviously it's it's the it's the like the Im, like impl- implicitly laid and like how's it going with your wife who you cheated on and now you're moved back in after having been moved out. <laughs> and they do this very like dudes nervously like giving each other half thumbs up like it's going okay and he's like okay it's okay we'll see you later at the barbecue and it it's it i was from the the moment that the you that danger is introduced to this movie it's an it's a really great disaster movie moment of of instigating the feeling of danger gerard has gone to the store with his son and they're going to get last minute stuff for the birthday barbecue for their for their little boy and they get out of the car and they look up and there's every fucking military plane within a thousand miles flying in formation in one direction. Yeah. The way my body froze when I like from there on, I didn't, I didn't, un, I didn't let go in my body until the very end of the movie because it, it was suddenly felt so just like, yeah, that's, that's what it would be. Wouldn't it? We wouldn't have this explanation. We would just suddenly see things that we weren't supposed to see, and that were like, uh, and, and then that thing inside of us would be like, "Oh, this, I'm, it's, it's under control." Like it's, they'd let us know. They'd let us know if there was something wrong, wouldn't they? And then, but nobody, nobody's getting more information because they they can't tell the populace. Otherwise, there's going to be mass hysteria. And it just suddenly started feeling so real, so immediately. And then, uh, just minutes later, when they're in the store, that's when Gerard gets the phone. As we see on his phone, United States Department of Homeland Security gives him a call with this presidential robocall saying you and your family have been selected and it was like and you are immediately aware of everybody else around him in the store who isn't getting a call yeah and suddenly the awareness of not everybody gets to survive even though you know that in a movie like 2012 like you know that in a in a movie where a large chunk of the earth is going to be scarred by some catastrophic like happening but watching it in this context i was i felt the immediacy of like being that person next to somebody being like, well, why'd they get the call? It was draining of, of my draining of my happiness for my body and made me so upset. Well, I think also the fact that they are lucky in that way Mm -hmm. that they get picked and all these other people don't. And then, you know, and then that's expanded upon with the neighbors and like that, you know, heart wrenching scene where the kid, they're like, take our child. And they're Mm -hmm. like, we can't, but they're so, quote unquote, lucky in that they've been selected for this thing. I think that's also why, because I had that same reaction that you guys did while watching it, being convinced that they weren't going to make it because Mm -hmm. it it starts off with them kind of lucking out in this way. Mm -hmm. And you're like, this is, this can only go down from here. It can only, yeah. Other, the movie's not 15 minutes long. This can only go down from here. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that also, the, the way that's set up also really, establishes their vulnerability both like in terms of just being like people in the movie but also mm-hmm. in this weird like subconscious way in our head in the way that the film you know the way it sort of delivers information to us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is done really well so yes. that so that we start to have certain expectations which the film then you know confounds which which is which is the sign of like a really good genre filmmaker yeah. where they're actually delivering on you know, the stuff that we came to see, but doing mm-hmm. it in such a way that they keep us guessing. Yeah. I mean, because like you when you when they get to the airfield, you're like, OK, you, it can't be this easy. So something's got to go wrong. But you don't expect the way that it's going to pivot. And this is, again, like to the reality of it, when when the families when the family shows up, like, first of all, they're standing in like the crush of people trying to get to the gate where the armed services members are letting them through to the planes. And when when Gerard starts going, where 
we we got the call like we got a call i shouted at the tv i was like don't, don't announce yeah that. don't tell anybody <laughs> don't hold up your phone the fact yeah. that his phone makes it intact in his hand i was stunned yeah i was like oh so the twist is going to be that these people are going to try and beat him to death <laughs> because they they know that he got the call and these people didn't but they get up there they even get like scanned through they even make it all the way to all they have to do all they have to do is get on the planes but suddenly they're aware oh shit the diabetes medication, the insulin got left in the car and we can't plan to have it where we're going to be. And he needs this to survive. So Gerard just is dad, just dad goes to get his kid's medication. He's got his little wristband. He can get back in. And you're like, how's this going to go? Like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then Marina mom, very reasonably, very reasonably goes up to a, a armed services member. And is like, do you know, my husband went to get my son's insulin. And they're like, whoa, insulin. And suddenly you're like, no, that's the thing that they're going to throw this kid off the plane. And so they, they can't go. I was like, it, it, it felt so possible. I was like, no, this is what would happen. Yeah. This is what would happen. Like any, anybody who was effectively like anybody who was effectively going to create any sort of drag on the system or friction or need any special exception would not get invited to the bunker. No, it, it doesn't make like, in a really horrible, and this goes to a bigger thing that by the end of it, I was like, the humans just shouldn't survive a, an extinction event. <laughs> yeah. Like that was what I walked away from this with. Um, it was a long, dark night of the soul for me after that. Yeah. But like, it makes, in terms of the reality aspect, like that moment, I was like, that makes perfect sense. Not even from yeah. a, we don't want dead weight, but you can't, you can't guarantee, you don't know how long they're going to be in there. So basically no. all that they're doing is, they would be taking this kid in to force this child to die horribly mm-hmm. versus letting the kid die in an extinction event might be the more preferable thing in that case, which is really fucking gross calculus, but also probably the choice that you would have to make in that case that, yeah, you can't, I mean, I'm just thinking of, you know, any chronic conditions. If you don't know how long you're going to have to, you're not going to have any sort of mechanisms. And afterward, you're not going to have any mechanisms yeah. in place to create insulin. Mm-hmm. You're not going to create synthetic insulin for this kid to boot it back up again. What, well, and, and then we have an exist. the air, like the, the, the tension in this is so amazing because you're at once like, is Gerard going to get to the van and going to get to their car in time to get the insulin and get back to reach his family? He doesn't know what's happening to them. So while you're watching, you're, you're worried about him on his side quest while you're worried about mom and son, can they actually talk their way onto this plane? And so they're interfacing with all these army, with all these army, you know, soldiers and off and, and this one officer who's in charge of logistics for this particular base. And she's pleading, Miranda Bacarin is pleading like with this, you know, my, my husband, she lies a little bit. She's like, my husband's on one of those planes. What do you want us to do? Like, don't you have kids of your own? And she's plainly tells her, she's like, I wasn't selected to go to the bunker. And 99% of families of service members were not. We're just here doing our job. And I was, again, it was a moment where you're getting caught up in the kind of sensation of it. And then there's this extremely grounding fact that is introduced where it's like, yeah, that's exactly there would need to be boots on the ground to facilitate what's happening here in the, despite the fact that none of them will be given preferential treatment to live. They, so, somebody still needs to step up and fulfill their duty. Right. And it was just, and you watch her receive that information too. And, and all she can say is, I'm, I'm sorry. Like it, it was, it was just like a, it was a series of impossible situations where people, the best thing you can do is to just maintain your humanity with, while also being deeply afraid and the end of the world hanging over you the entire time. I was 
So God, I was stressed. You're going to be the tie-breaking vote on this because, so I was- Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and I want to, at some point, please don't let me forget that I do want to double back to the presidential alert and just how that whole system went down. So I do think Mm -hmm. we need to discuss that a little further. Mm -hmm. Um, But so at that point in the movie, Mm -hmm. uh, I texted Jordan a screenshot of my notes and it said, this movie could be titled, oh, so this family thinks they're fucking special. Because when she was pleading, because when she was pleading with that army officer, the- that char- the the character of Ali almost lost me mm. because I, and then when Gerard Butler was then yelling that he had to get off of the plane, he almost lost me because one, Ali is slowing down the entire military operations and all the planning and all the work that needs to be done to save untold thousands of other people. Sure. And also, too, that plane, so later on, Gerard Butler is on the plane. Yeah. Having gotten the insulin pack, he doesn't know that his wife and kid aren't on the plane. Yes. He has the insulin pack in his hand. Another passenger sees it and is like, why do you get on here with an insulin pack? Who did you pay off? My sister's kid couldn't come on. Yeah, they, like, turned him away. Yeah. And so, and then that's when Gerard Butler realizes that Allie and his son aren't on the plane. So he's like, open the plane door, let me off. And they let him off of the plane, which is the thing that causes a delay that then there's a breach in the system. People start running onto the tarmac mm-hmm. and the plane then blows up because of loose gasoline. So to me, <laughs> these two things. So those two moments, Ali and then Gerard Butler mm-hmm. uh, do for their own basically selfish reasons, I would argue. I mean, Jeffrey, yes, a- Jordan, let me finish. <laughs> then fucking finish. Let's go. <laughs> Uh-uh. No, you don't Come get to. Eat. No. no, I am. So, and then when I'm done talking, I want Bill go to weigh in before you do. Yeah. This is yeah. funny to watch. You guys don't understand. You stop with your bullshit. Continue your bullshit then. So, Let's get going. Let's get going. That, I'm tr- so for me at that moment, they almost all lost me because I was so frustrated with their actions in those situations. They redeemed themselves. By the end of it, I was like, I was yelling at the TV that if there wasn't the epilogue at the end after the media after the comet hits i was like if there's not a fucking epilogue epilogue that they survive and lose my shit but at that moment are you on jordan's side where you were your heart was with them you had no questions or are you where do you fall on that spectrum how did that read for you as character well it's it's make an enemy bilga (laughs) (laughs) well i i I feel like i'm kind of in the middle and i'm not saying that so that I, i i i can't i don't make enemies but it does like I, I I get your issues with it, Amanda, but I feel like that actually made them more human to me, right? Because I mean, right. the, the the movie is, I mean, the movie is about how all sorts of different people respond to this, you know, this this event, right? I mean, to to, to the imminent end of the world, or at least the end of most of humanity. Yeah. Um, and you know, from the you know the the, the soldiers who are doing their jobs. To, I mean, the soldiers who are doing their jobs to the, um, you know, that that the Hope Davis and her husband oh, who are kind of in this weird little like, you know, you, you see the point at which, you know, a good person turns into a monster with Hope right. Davis. Right. Where she starts that sequence off as kind of a, a, an actual like a good person mm-hmm. who wants to help. And, he, and when her husband turns out to be like, you know, a, a, an opportunistic psycho, mm-hmm. she actually resists him but by the end of that sequence she's like no no this is my son this is my son you know um mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, so, 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 you know, there, there are all these colors throughout the movie. Um, but like our heroes also kind of go from a, like they go across a kind of um, a range of responses. And at this point, I feel like, I mean, I will say when, when Gerard Butler asked to be let off the plane, that scene felt slightly off to me for, for not so much for him wanting to be off because we've already mm-hmm. established that right now, all he wants to do is get back together with his family. Right. And yeah. I think that actually enhances the thing that we were talking about earlier of, Oh, right. This is the struggle. They're going to get back together and then they're going to die together. So, so that, that worked for me. The part that didn't work was like, they would never let him off the fucking plane at that point. Like, they're, <laughs> the, they're, like the yeah. plane is taking off. Like you, yeah. they're not going to let him off. They're like, fuck you like sorry yeah. your family's gonna die you know yeah, yeah. um that that's that's the one part where i was like yeah no they would not like these people are are too professional at what they're doing to like stop the plane and be like here you go completely yeah i mean yeah. even he's like well you know they're like well you can't get back on it's like no 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 no. <laughs> this is like no that you would they would not let him off yeah, right that, yeah. that that part rang a little false but you know whatever i mean at this point I mean, yeah, it is in, a movie about yeah. a comedy. Right, here, yeah, so. in yeah. the in the reality index of the in the reality index of it, that plane door, the cargo bay door, is not opening. Yeah. you are on this boat. This boat is leaving. It's the end of humanity, dude. Like, fucking sorry, that is not opening. Yeah, but like, I, I you know, announcement to everybody out there listening: find Amanda in the apocalypse because she will gladly step aside in her own self preservation entirely, readily to let you forward so that you may live in her stead. And I'm not saying I'm going to be like cutting people's throats on the way to the plane to make sure I get my seat, but the idea that. Uh, because they are our heroes, they cannot have an overwhelming feeling of self-preservation in a moment that is also counterbalanced by empathy when they are rea- re- reminded of the scope of the situation. Like when that service member says, you know, oh, ma'am, I didn't get a pass to to go to the bunker and neither did 99% of the people in the armed services, but they're letting your ass on. Marina's not like, well, that's not what's important right now. I'm at the Apple store and I have a fucking complaint. Like, no, she relents and is like, I'm I'm really sorry. And the notion that these parents would be so entirely motivated by the survival of protecting their child. Like it is about them too, but ultimately it is about how do we stay with this boy and protect our boy and get him to safe haven. I I mean, friends of mine who've had babies 15 seconds ago, it seems like they'd run in front of a fucking train if that was what it was going to be to like keep that kid alive. So the idea of annoying self-preservation reflexes in the middle of the certain end of the world, I'm going to allow for people to take like a 10 minute digression of kind of being a little bit entitled to their survival. They didn't they didn't turn heel and like kidnap somebody's child. No, it, as they, was done to them and be like I mean that scene like what what Bill goes referencing is there's a scene yeah. in the car where Marina Bakarin and her son have ended up in an SUV with like a seemingly nice couple who they're just going to hitch a ride as far north as they can because once they get separated from Gerard and they know they can't get on the plane, like, all right, we're going to go to my dad's farm in Kentucky. We're going to go to Marina's dad's farm. So they're like, take us as far north as you can go. And they get in this car and everything starts out hunky-dory. But then when they realize they've got the bracelets on for the planes and that they weren't able to use theirs and able to board, well, suddenly 
suddenly Hope Davis's husband is like, I see a fucking window here. And, and for casting up- purposes, let's real quick just point out that Hope Davis's husband is the guy who played Roy on The Office. So you already, <laughs> as soon as you see Roy from The Office, That's you're a great like, this point. dude is going to do some shady shit. That is what's so genius about this casting is that the yeah. minute, like every little neuron in my brain was like, nope, nope, don't trust him. Don't trust him. <laughs> Roy, he's talking about how- Roy. He's talking about how, how could you turn away a face like that? Like, that is Roy. He's going <laughs> to kill Jim. Absolutely the fuck not. So, I mean, I would that, also try I to kill like Jim, so me and Roy have that in common. But I, I understand just, that the office, yes, I understand. But that is that that slow degrading of safety in the car is so, because you see them start eyeing Morena and her kid, and you're like, oh my God, what's the thing that they're going to do? And I thought, maybe they'll just take their bracelets. Like, they'll just pull the bracelets up and put them on. And no, they decide, the husband decides that the dastardly way forward is to fully pry Morena Bakarin out of the car. Like when he rips her out of the car and throws her through the air a little bit and drops her on the ground and then like locks her out of the car and they're like, we're taking your son so we can pretend to be you and your husband with your child. They didn't really take the right lesson from the fact that she was like, we couldn't get on the plane. Yeah. And they're like, oh, great, we'll just kidnap your son and we'll go be your family and then we'll get on and leave her on the side of the road and drive away with her child. And it is, I mean, the the way this movie builds in harrowing moments that do feel terrifyingly possible in the event of this kind of catastrophe was like, fuck, people will do that. There, there are people who will just kidnap a child and be like, we're going to pretend to be you. When they drive by, there's looting that happens like pretty much at the outset when they start heading toward the airbase. Gerard Butler's character remarks, he's like, well, that didn't take long. And like, so the, the little ways in which state of nature comes in without going full purge and kind of numbing you to the lack of humanity that pops up around, I thought was really well laced through the whole movie. Just these little ways where you see like little mercies interspersed in between them, but these ways in which like, yep, once civilization is gone, we're just tribes now, man. And each little family is a tribe of however many. So that was, it, I was very impressed with how like every once in a while you'd get an incredible, and you really, cause obviously we talk about a lot of like sci-fi channel movies and made for TV movies on the podcast and they are great in their own ways, but it's such a treat when you do see like a nice budget disaster movie and you see the way the impacts look and you're like, Ooh, it's great when they have like the right amount of cash to make this look so good. Like that, when you see Tampa fucking annihilated when one of the fragments of the asteroid makes landfall, it was like, Oh my God. And then that's only the first one you see. And you're like, Oh my God, this is going to keep happening intermittently the entire movie. And it was extremely cool every time it did. And that final, the, the, when we finally see the the, the big one. Oh through, my God. Which is, I mean, the film has been building up to it and, and it's been building up to it beautifully because it hasn't been showing us too much. Mm-hmm, like we mm-hmm. see a little bit here. I mean, we yeah. Tampa is kind of a big one, but, but like we don't see a ton. And a lot yeah. of it's through news footage and things like that. Um, or like, you know, occasionally a stray one falls. And then, yeah. I mean, and then there's a scene where Gerard Butler's driving through like the yes, rain yeah. of asteroids coming, yeah, which the, is the like, molten, you kind of need that. Like we yeah, came to see something bombs. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's been building up so well that mm-hmm. when the big one comes, it's like, oh shit. Like that's, <laughs> that's what it would actually look like. Yeah. Um, nine, nine miles across is the yeah. big one. 
And as they note, like the they they note several times. I like how often they have radio broadcasts in this. Yeah, like when with the, like with our like little updates. And then like when we hear about this one, like the Planet Killer. Of course, you get the reference. Like this is bigger than the one that took up that t- that took out the dinosaurs. This was bigger than this will be bigger than that extinction event. And like you said, we see enough of the impacts that are really bad and scary to where when you're like like you kind of. You, I think it kind of lapses in your mind that it has to be bigger and crazier to really sell what they're talking about as far as a planet killer goes. And then they, they end up in Greenland. They're about ready. They're, they're seconds away from impact. They're going down into the shelter. And suddenly it's just like a nuclear explosion level of bright like you see in movies. It looks like a nuclear bomb has gone off. But instead, that brightness passes over the top of them. And it's just the biggest ball of flame that could possibly exist ever filling the entirety of the sky that's going to go hit Europe, like between like it's going to hit between Europe and North Africa. And it's going to wipe out most of that fucking continent in Europe. And it is just like the rumble and the glow of the fire pouring across the sky. I was like. I mean, like I'm I get so in awe of people who act in these movies in any capacity in little scenes like that because it's like oh yeah here's the moment where you have to pretend like you're sure the world's gonna end what fucking face even is that we don't walk around making that face and having that emotion but you've got to do it for this and I'm sold I was sold <laughs> my god nine miles yeah that's amanda what did you what did you want to say about the presidential alert system oh, i don't want to go I just too want, far afield for you i just want to mention that that would that's like just in terms of i think that's twice the size of the one that would have taken out the dinosaurs and this is a comet not an asteroid and i want to okay right just because science yes no um, please please and that also does affect so that's why they're getting these fragments and why this is a little bit less um predictable mm-hmm. so there's a lot of the aspects to this where the science on it's really interesting because of the fact that they did the smart thing they didn't do an asteroid which we do have a fair amount of knowledge about like mm. we don't have a plan in place but we at least have situations where we can encounter and understand kind of what's going to happen with a comet we don't know what would happen if it got this close to us and we don't have mm. an ability to we don't we haven't studied it we don't have that so um, is it just because they're, they're kind of too far to be like, to have like accurate observable information or like, yeah, we just don't, we don't get them in like, the, I think that miners from what I saw, it just looks like we just haven't had as much to observe and see what's going on with it. We have comets that come through our solar mm-hmm. system. They come through fairly regularly. Got it. We don't have as much to study on it. Yeah. Um, they're also balls of gas and ice and that is harder you to study as well. Mm. Um, so that combination of things. So the comet part of the problem with Clark is that it starts to break up mm-hmm. and that's why we're getting all these different fragments and why they can't really anticipate it. And that's, I thought was like a really smart thing. There's a lot of papers that I kind of started to read up on that was kind of interesting how this was like a thing that people are discussing and we're discussing before the, even before the movie came out mm. um, science wise. Well, and it mentions too that it, it does make the note that when first, when Clark first enters yeah. the conversation, <laughs> it says that it has an extraordinarily long tail behind it. Yeah. And as such, they can't really tell the total composition of the tail because it's so big. And I thought that that was a really clever way of being like, this is so big and we can't really read what's going on in there. So it's going to be a lot of guesswork and surprise part of those, the answers to those guesses are civilization ending bits of, of ice and, yeah. and rock. Yeah, it's it's scary. And and there's like there actually are some theories that this might have actually happened. There um there's something called the Younger Dryas period. So in the during the Ice Age, the most recent Ice Age cycle, like 
15 to 10,000 years ago, there was this mm. period where we were in a warming, we were actually coming out of the ice age. And then we got plunged back into an ice age and we're not entirely sure why that happened. Mm. And they think it might've been because of this comet that is in our orbit that a chunk of it came off and hit and caused this, uh, plunged us back into an ice age. Right. That was just like one paper I read and I don't know how legitimate that was. Sure. But this is something they are like, and that's always the problem with, this is not a field I know particularly a lot about. And so this is always <laughs> the problem. Uh, when I start like being like, I'm going to read papers on this. But, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, Amanda, Nate Silver understands everything about COVID. That is true. He he's has been, been studying it extensively his whole life since March. Been studying it. So yeah, he's always been reading a lot about this. Yeah. So, if there's anything I know, it's that I will always trust what Nate Silver says. Yeah. Like mm. Amanda, you can be the Nate Silver of comments. And oh, I think that's God. totally legitimate here. But, by the way, uh, before I, I've seen Greenland now three times, I think. But <laughs> yeah. if, before I yes. watched it a third time, I watched that uh, you know Werner Herzog's documentary. <gasps> I just watched Fireball, that. Yes. Oh, which okay. Is, which which was interesting to watch, you know, mm-hmm. in light of Greenland, um, because I, in some ways, it's it's a it's a more spectacular movie than mm-hmm. Greenland is. I mean, it, it actually probably yeah. has more like you see the destruction of a comet much more. Like, that's the thing. Ironically enough, the Werner Herzog documentary is much more sensationalistic and alarmist than Greenland <laughs> is, than the Gerard yeah. Butler disaster movie is. Oh, is that, um, so the one sad. guy who just collects space dust all day long, that guy was fascinating. Wow. Oh, yeah. And and, and the people whose job it is mm-hmm. to basically just look at these screens, yeah. watching the skies mm-hmm. um, and looking at like little graphs <laughs> to determine if there's like a comet headed our way. Like, yeah. That is, oh my God. So now with the, with the, with the topic of like the less predictability, I guess, since we haven't researched it as much, they only determine that Clark is, is where it is in relation to us a couple weeks yeah. before it is that, was that realistic? Would we, would we see that sooner? I, I mean, I don't know. And I think a big part yeah. of it probably has to do with like, and this is entirely just going off of what little I know, but I would guess that if, depending on where we are in the solar system relative to the sun, mm, and okay. depending on where the comet is relative to the sun, yeah, that could block our view. I that actually kind of, I buy that. I had okay. no questions in my mind that we would only know about it for a few weeks. I mean, shit, we just had a comet in, what was it, August? Mm, that's right. And how long were we hearing? Like, I'm sure maybe the science community knew about it for longer, but how long right. were we publicly hearing about it before it we saw it? Yeah. You know, and that was a fairly close pass to Earth. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but I don't know how long before, I don't know how that works. And we only, we hear about it all the time. Like scientists have to, have to, have picked up an asteroid that's, you know, going to be close. And as poten- we hear that we get these news articles. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. This is yeah. good that these things are happening. Space is really fucking big. And it's that's so big. Uh, that is the huge problem. With space, <laughs> is it's, there's so, so it much is, of it. It is quite possibly the biggest thing that exists. <laughs> it, <laughs> what a bold statement. Huge I will not argue. True. Huge if true. True wow. if huge. <laughs> <laughs> A great producer Jason interjection. <laughs> I I really I can't say enough about like the the beginning of this movie. It's like the, it, the beginning of this movie is the inverse of the outrunning disasters. Mm-hmm. It's just all these little observable things. Like when once the Tampa the Tampa like shard hits, you, they're they like they're they're <gasps> oh, tracking God. it on TV. Like this is when everybody's in the the Butler family, even though that's not their name, the Butler family living room, and they're like, "Ooh, guys, we're gonna watch it make landfall. Like, let's see what happens." And it, you know, it's cool. It's science. Ooh, we're never gonna see this again. And 
you see the shard pass through the view of the camera and then it doesn't hit anything like because the, the camera's trained on a certain part of the ocean where this is supposed to make impact and you don't see anything and then suddenly there is like there is like an audible boom and there is a jolt and so Gerard runs out of the house and he looks over and there's nothing but then he is knocked on his ass and the windows of the house are broken out by a shock wave that has traveled more than a thousand miles up the eastern United States because the impact was so huge that it fucking destroyed Tampa. And when he goes back inside and they replay like news helicopter footage on the the broadcast, they're like, this image, like these images may be disturbing. And it was just like suddenly that, I mean, it's the record scratch moment of the movie. And it, it, it lets you know sort of like the cold inhumanity that you're about to see for the rest of it that I think it just tees up so well where they see that the, the Gerard's family gets notified by this alert system like oh we, we better go home we better see if we got an alert we, we, we better check and see if we, we got picked to go too and suddenly just like the hollowness the hollowness oh, and sadness yeah and then you know these tribulations that they have to face throughout the entire movie like you kind of you never forget that it's a disaster but it's such an effective family drama that every once in a while when the camera pulls back and you see this incredible shot of the night sky where there's the comet and all of its accompanying like bits and parts are careening through our atmosphere and it's just gorgeous and of course he ends up at a rooftop party at one point to like get a better view it's like there would definitely be rooftop parties i completely yes that. Amanda's like, that's where I am. No, 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 it's not that. It's that I, I got to say, one thing that's for a movie that was made pre-COVID, and I maybe this is why it, it was, and it was a difficult movie in a lot of ways. Mm, I came away from this movie really shaken and upset in a way I... I had actually prior earlier that day been like, guys, watching disaster movies is such a great escape. And then I was yeah. like, no. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. Um, I don't... I was stunned by how... Well, this movie in so many ways captures what the last 10 months have felt like. And that party, that rooftop party was, I was just like, I have no questions. And before March, I might've been like, who the fuck would be at a rooftop party being like, fuck you, Comet. Absolutely. They yell it. But a chunk of the comet hurtles through the sky and hits something. And all the people at the party yell, fuck you, Clark. Yeah. (laughs) It's so... And it's a hundred, my neighbors across the street have karaoke parties every weekend. Jeez. We're in Los Angeles and 10 people die. And like, it's like 10 people die every hour and they're having karaoke parties because there's a threat of yeah. nihilism that there's just come the fuck up that I, I'm just like, okay, yeah. you know what? Yeah. That's a hundred percent. I have no questions in my mind. Um, yeah. Like well, the, watching the, oh, sorry, go. No, go ahead, please finish. finish I was going to say w- watching when Gerard Butler is at the gas at the grocery store early before anything's going on and he sees the tanks roll through. Yeah. After he's seen the military uh, jets and then the he dozens t- of planes overhead. And then he just sees a tank roll through and it took me so viscerally back to June. Yeah. When, um, in LA, you know, we were having a lot of, we were having all the protests, um, the anti-police pro- brutality protests. And of course, like a reasonable fucking mayor, he decides that he's going to call in the National Guard to deal with people exercising their First Amendment rights. To like and, ha- half occupy the city. Yeah, why not? Asshole. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, um, I mean, seeing, seeing those was, exact vehicles outside of Cantor's. I was going to say, so it was, I was outside of Cantor's Deli, outside mm-hmm. of the farmer's market, that there's just tanks and like yep. this place where I've grown up. Yeah. I mean, this is my, I, my child, and all of a sudden there's tanks in the streets, which is, it was 
surreal and off-putting. And even though I knew why they were there, right. it was so viscerally upsetting that it took me to that place where I was watching the tanks. I was like, I can't even imagine being in a situation where I don't know why they're rolling through. Right. How I, that, so that, this is, I, I gotta say, of the two, this, this, I think accomplished something. I haven't seen Songbird, but I would go out on a limb and say that this accomplished what Songbird <laughs> would have wanted to do. Right. Yeah. Capturing. That Songbird wants what Greenland has kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> I, think I, I, I would really argue that Greenland becomes a movie, a very different movie after March in a way that yeah. helped it tremendously for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, um, well, it, it's interesting because you, there are all these disaster movie tropes yeah. that you think about that. You know, when you watch them in movies, you, you know, you either accept them or you call bullshit on them. Yeah. And, but then like when you live through a real disaster, you're like, okay, well, uh, that one got it right. And that one didn't, I mean, so the, um, you know, a, a movie I do not personally like very much, although I saw it opening day and I cheered <laughs> along with the audience at certain parts, Independence Day. Um, but yes. the, you know, you, you know, the, the, the partiers, waiting the for the aliens to come, the yeah. welcome alien. Now that's obviously a little different because those people thought the aliens were going to, you know, transport them to their planet or something, right. but, <laughs> but, but, but that, that's what I was kind of reminded of with the, co- yeah. with, with the, um, the, the Clark partiers, <laughs> yeah, um, the Clark partiers. but, but the, 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 the tanks and the streets thing. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I lived through, you know, September 11th in New York mm-hmm. and I remember that, but I also, you know, I, we, um, we came to the U.S. when I was seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I grew up in Turkey before that, and by pure coincidence, we actually moved to the U.S. two days after um, the 12th of September coup in Turkey in 1980. Oh, um, so I remember tanks in the streets as like this thing from my childhood <laughs> that, like, I ne- like I, you know, that I hadn't sort of thought about for a long time until September 11th happened, and then uh-huh. like. You know, after a few days, I had to go back to work and I got out of my subway station and there were just like tanks and like, you know, armored personnel carriers, like all over the streets of New York. And like, you know, these, you know, these areas that had been set up, um, you know, for military use. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, oh, wait, I remember this. Like I suddenly flashed back to like being a child. I remember what this was like. Um, And then, of course, I hadn't seen that for a long time since. Um, And I mean, I didn't, uh, you know. I don't remember too much at the process at the protests in Brooklyn, but to see that stuff again over the Uh summer and then to watch it. But then you watch it in this movie and you watch, you know, Gerard Butler being kind of surprised at seeing this. And and there's this real sort of like a sense memory of, Mm -hmm. you know, disaster of of like various (laughs) forms of disaster that you've seen, you know, man-made or not um, in your life. And um, I think the film is very good at selecting the things that would happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the I one think that's thing, a good point. You know, yeah. I mean, the, in terms of like, um, I mean, there are certain liberties that I think it takes, you know, if we're doing reality checks. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, in terms of like that footage from Tampa showing up like five seconds after Tampa is like yeah, annihilated. Yeah, was immediate. Um, I was like, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, yeah, you know, I feel like there'd be some issues with the satellites and radio waves and giant <laughs> electro- electromagnetic pulses that take over like half the country. Like, right? Media yeah. stayed phenomenally intact considering cell phones were totally yeah. fucked. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the movie, as it progresses, becomes a little more realistic. Like, I actually, I think I, I think I mentioned this in my review. I can't remember, but you know, we go from sort of the sensationalistic, you know, 
hurricane style reporting like oh yeah. you, you're about mm -hmm. to see something you know some disturbing footage yeah and as the film progresses what we're getting from kind of the airwaves becomes a lot grimmer Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah. and by the end, it's just an automated, automated message. Yeah. Right? But like, yeah. like there's that one point, there's that radio message of just like the scientists dryly talking about what's going to happen over yeah. the next 12 right? hours or whatever. And it's like, you know, and it's, it's really disturbing. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that it would be exactly like that, but it feels right. You know, it feels uh, like, yeah, 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 at some point we would just be confronted with just the very basic data of uh -huh. our mm -hmm. annihilation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which and then, like you said, and then the, by the time we get to the end, like they're after Gerard and company have finished outrunning the molten debris falling from the sky, it's a bunch of people just sitting around underneath the bridge at night before they get back on the road again. And it's just a woman saying, is there anybody out there? Is there anybody out there? Everything yeah. south of Rochester is on fire. And she starts praying. Yeah. And it was just like and, and the movie takes place over the course of 48 hours. And it does. Yeah, that does feel like those yeah. sorts of calls into the ether like the degrading of that feels right and yeah. in in a, in a way it was just like i i was like oh god i started thinking so much about like it like would i just stay like would i just be like yeah. well okay like i and i i feel like i normally get like swept up enough and like no everybody's gotta make it you've gotta run and this one god would i just like stay that and just like be with people like that was something that, so we watched it, uh, had a little, you know, group watch with some friends. And that was something that my, my girlfriend and, and a few other people were like immediately talking about, like break into act two. And they're immediately like, yeah, I think I'd just stay home, uh, uh, probably get kind of drunk and, uh, put a bullet in my mouth. <laughs> right, right. Like these, and, and that is, and, and we are, and we're Fort, thank God we make it to the farm in Lexington, Kentucky, where we meet Miranda Bacarin's dad, who is that David Carradine? No, it's no, um, no, no Scott Glenn. Scott yeah. Glenn. Scott Glenn. I always call yeah. Scott Glenn a Carradine. He 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 really should be a Carradine. It's a little <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Scott Glenn, who just couldn't be a more sinewy, grizzled little man, oh, is yeah. the father of Marina Bacar. And like he sees her finally, like they've come together, and he's like, "Hi, sunflower." And oh my god, I started to cry. Oh yeah. And then he's and you know from the second you meet him. He's not leaving that farm. Oh, no, he is oh, dying yeah. at that farm because the love of his life died at that farm. And so he's damn well going to die at that farm, too. Exactly. No like he said, this year, six months from now, 10 years from now, it's happening right here. I and do, I, I was just going to say, I need someone to compare Scott Glenn and Tommy Lee Jones's ear size. I need to figure <laughs> out who, who wins in that. I just if uh, anyone can do the math. Scott, I think Scott Glenn's bangs. ears are Scott Glenn's ears are thinner and larger. <laughs> Tommy Lee Tommy Lee Jones's ears are a little smaller but meatier. Mm. I didn't expect Amanda Boxer's to have a ready ears. analysis on that one, so I'm very. It immediately impressed. popped into my head. I just immediately <laughs> was like, I just saw the ears so clearly. I mean, the, Scott Glenn's face just doesn't feel like a face that should exist. <laughs> You know, so so like I don't like the ears don't bother me because I'm like, well, no, nothing there makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> like it's like it's like this narrow and you know, yep. like yeah, and he yeah. has like turf bangs and he yeah, well, that, I don't know what's going on with the hair. Um, <laughs> and yeah. that he hair and, of a man who's been cutting his own hair at that farm. <laughs> yeah. That's not it. 
That again, that hair made perfect sense to me in that character. Oh, oh, ab- that yeah, man, we- that is a gentleman who just cuts his own hair as he sees fit. In the barn, <laughs> and then he's like, well, I'll hose it down or the wind will sweep it out. Yeah, it's, it's true. And I love that when we see, I love that when we meet him, because Gerard gets to the farm before his wife and son do. And when we meet him, um, he's playing cards with his buddies at the table. You know, they're not leaving their respective farms either. And he's like, my buddies are here to babysit me. So I wouldn't just like tear off into the middle of nowhere and like try to go find my kid. It's like, I absolutely believe this old man's friends came over and they were like, Scott Glenn, sit down. <laughs> Going to look for her is not going to help her. You need to be here for when she arrives. Like it just made so much. It felt like such a right picture of an old man with his country friends spending their last hour hours just how they spent every day for the preceding 20 years yeah I liked yeah. that a lot but and then but like and the that and it was the, a really I gotta say it was a really nice break from the kind yeah. of it was a good kind of chance for us to catch our breath which I thought was really nice yeah you're like in the most beautiful place you could imagine being yeah. it's like gorgeous horse farm in Kentucky and you're like oh and for like while you're there and it's so beautiful you're like oh maybe the the comet will disappear and everything will be okay like there's sort of this suspension of disbelief that can take place and then you're ripped back into reality when Gerard's like this is what the deal is with, with these planes. Like who at this point, mind you, I think another, I think another great use of Gerard Butler specifically in this movie is when he's hitchhiking his way north, he ends up in the back of a truck where like, we're going to Canada. We're going to try and find these planes. He's like, I just got to get as far as like here in Kentucky. I got to find my family. Well then again, these people don't take off their blue wristbands for some reason. Some guys in the truck are like, you need to give us that fucking wristband. And so a fight ensues and a great use of Gerard Butler here is that he doesn't immediately kill everybody with his special operative knowledge yeah. of being Gerard Butler. He just ends up in a very pedestrian fight where he's just trying to not die while these guys are trying to kill him. And then he accidentally kills somebody because one of them brandishes a hammer and there's a car accident. They all fall out. He ends up with a hammer in his hand and just on reflex whips around and ends up burying the <laughs> nail pulling end of it into the back of this guy's skull. And he's, he he doesn't know what to do. he's broken in that moment just like i fucking killed a guy like, shockingly gruesome death <laughs> a yeah. perfect use of gerard butler to subvert because you're i feel like you're waiting that whole fight yeah like, okay gerard okay gerard open it up on him like come on gerard and then you're like oh yeah he's not gerard butler he's not mike banning right now like but, 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 but also a great use of gerard butler in that he's discriminated against for being scottish <laughs> <Yes>! <laughs> where are you from from here no where are you from? Where are you really from? Oh, yeah, because obviously this guy would have the issue with the Scotsman. In this <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also like a diverse group of people in that truck. Yeah. Like, he singled out because he's a Scotsman. It's, it's, it's is... a real bend it like Beckham moment with like Jonathan Reese Myers being like, I understand what you're going through, Jess. You're Indian. I'm Irish. <laughs> like, of course I understand discrimination. I'm Irish. It's a, it's a great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you said, he, of all the people in the back of that car like gerard really when he's like oh it should be somebody from america it was like this there, is right. there, there's also this um i mean th- th- this moment happens a little later uh but it relates to this scene where he, you know he and that guy are talking the guy who tells him who i don't think we ever get his name the guy who tells him about the the greenland yeah. right um who, who then dies um later on when gerard butler tells his family about the the the, the plane's you know, to mm-hmm. Greenland. And, and I think his wife says, you know, who told you that? And Gerard Butler goes, just this 
really great guy. (laughs) 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 It's just like... (laughs) It is a great line. Well, it's like, it's like, a. it is, well, I mean... It's a great line and it's an utterly idiotic line. But oh my like, god, yes, it's but, unbelievable. But, but Gerard Butler is quite possibly the only <laughs> actor in the world yeah. who can embrace both its idiocy and its <laughs> mm-hmm. just common sense. Like that's kind of what you'd probably <laughs> say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How else do you quick you... notes? Well, it was the guy that I was in the back of the chicken truck with who right. died because the chicken truck stopped short and then we all got flung out into the side of the highway. Like the cliff notes of that is. Yeah. And yeah, I killed exactly. the guy with a hammer, but let's yeah. not get into that right now. Yeah. That's, like, like, that's kind like... of what you would say. <laughs> yeah. And you would feel like an idiot for saying it. And Gerard Butler is somehow able to like walk that fine line it's It's a perfect line reading and i gotta say like to go with the subverting expectation that might be this might mark a historic moment in gerard butler filmmaking in the sense that this is the first time gerard butler has ever looked shocked and horrified to have killed a man (laughs) yeah yeah normally he's a man on a mission normally he just like accepts it and moves the fuck on and he really gets to in a way that i was like very happy for him that he got to play through that as an actor Mm. of like getting to reflect back the deep horror that this poor like structural engineer who did not ever plan to use one of his tools like a hammer that's one of a tool that you would use to then turn around and lodge it into a dude's brain cavity yeah yeah it it is interesting also to think about this movie i I hadn't thought of this until just now but you know, if we look at this like as as the arc of Gerard Butler's career, I mean, the movie that really I think made him a star was was Three Hundred. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this movie has nothing in common with Three Hundred, and yet in some weird way, it's like the anti Three Hundred. Yeah. Uh, right. Because, right. Because Three Hundred, you know, starts off with that thing. I mean, Three Hundred is a terrible movie, and and, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 I, and I find it just like just morally wrong on every level too. Yeah. But yeah, it does. You know, it has that thing at the beginning where where you see them throwing off, you know, all the disabled babies or, mm-hmm. or the babies that don't make it. And this yeah. is an example of, well, at the, I mean, at that time in the U.S., certain people took that as an example of how great Sparta was. Um, yeah. But like this movie is all about Gerard Butler's, you know, like diabetic son and, and how he's, you know, the, the, how mm-hmm. they're not being led onto the plane and this journey that they have to take. Um and 300 is also about like how Gerard, you know, I mean, he basically leaves his family to go off and fight in this war and all that. Yeah. And this is like the exact opposite. Like he's actually doing everything he can to be with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, it is interesting to see how he's kind of come full circle in that, in that yeah. way. Can you imagine this Gerard Butler kicking a dude into a bottomless pit? Like, no. Yeah. And no. yelling that this is Raleigh. Yeah. Like, yeah. But this no, you're absolutely this you're absolutely right though that this is sort of the anti in that like the anti message to that where the idea is that in order to be strong like that with their sacrifice is basically to sacrifice their lives mm-hmm. and lay down their lives to stop this giant empire versus this where it's just like a dude trying to sur- survive with his family in a very micro setting. It's it's anti-exceptionalist, you know? Yeah. It's it's all about how we're kind of in this whole thing together you know mm-hmm. um see yeah. and that's that is for me and this, this is probably gonna i was gonna save this for the what is this movie really about but i'm bringing it up now this is to me the like basically the antidote and grounded version of 2012 right right yeah, yeah. and yeah. so that is like in the same way where this is there they are both movies that are about guys who have no exceptional nothing exceptional they're just trying to save their family and get their mm-hmm. family to safety and that's the goal 
But the difference is that in this, it just stays grounded the whole time in a way that obviously 2012 is not going to be. <laughs> I but will, it, yeah. I, I, I will take us into like the last throws of it. They get, they get on the plane, the pilot lets them on, they're flying to Greenland. Well, they've, they've got precious minutes left. There, there is another gargantuan impact, though not the planet killer, that it fucks up the operations of the plane from the shockwave. They have to do an emergency landing. The pilots heroically give their lives to get this plane on the ground. And I, as they're getting out of the plane once it's on the ground, Gerard sees, or as it's going down, Gerard sees a military plane landing somewhere. So he gets out of the plane and he's like, all right, I saw a plane land in that way. Like, let's go that direction. I truly love that this movie ends with after people were like turned away, mm-hmm. you got to have your wristbands, no kid with diabetes, you're out of here, like no pre-existing conditions. After that happens, they they like are walking to the base, they're running, yeah. walking to the base and like a military truck sees them from a distance, like flashes its lights and goes to get them and is like, come on, everybody. And I love that the movie ends with basically it was like, we had all these all these restrictions back in the States. But fuck, you guys came all this way. Get in that base. Get well, in we, that bunker. We have some extra room because of those planes you blew up. Yeah, <laughs> those fucking thousands of people that died, hundreds of people that died on those planes you blew up. We've had some vacancies. So, like, since you're here, since you're in Greenland, why don't you guys get on in this bunker and we'll sort it out later. I truly love that. I was so, I was like, man, they're not going to give them shit when they finally get to the base, are they? Mm-hmm. And they didn't. It was just like everybody inside, everybody inside. And that is, of course, when you have the majestic moment of majestic harrowing moment of the nine mile wide comet shard careening across the earth. Um, and they get down. And again, this movie is still making you think. Oh, my There's, God. You're still making you think that this is going to be the end because there's the like we're all together, family cradling each other moment in the bunker. They've made it down below. They're underground. And it's the impact. There's the shaking. The lights go off. And I was like. I wanted the movie to keep going because I wanted to see dis- more destruction. Like I wanted to see more remnants of, of impact. Like it's like, no, I need one last disaster here, but I was fully resigned to them being dead. I was like, we're just going to see carnage and they're dead. They're gone. But I, I, surprise! I was, at that moment, Jordan, I had, I just sat there going, if they don't, after it fades to black. Oh, and also after a small child has reminded this small child delivers one of the oh. most heart wrenching lines in the You're same right. way that the last line in 2012 is so fucking absurd that you're just like, wait, what? Because the last line of that child is the kid being like, dad, no more diapers, which fucking what? Yeah. Um, but in this movie, the kid's last line is, where are the flashes? I thought before you die, there are supposed to be flashes. Yeah. It is so heartbreaking. And then we get Gerard Butler having the flashes. Yeah, we, yeah, because the kid has introduced the concept of your life flashing before your eyes in a previous part of the road trip up north. So this is a kickback to him. You know, he's like, you know, we shouldn't, he's like, I, so-and-so told me that like your your whole life flashes before your eyes before you die. He's like, but I think your whole life should flash before you while you're alive so you can enjoy all the happy moments. And then they're in the bunker and he's like, where are all the flashes? I thought you're supposed to see the flashes. And as Amanda said, we then see Gerard Butler flashing through the like greatest hits of him and his family's life together right before impact and they found a kid a younger kid who looks just like this kid and and that was 
yeah, at that point, I was just like, oh, fuck you. (laughs) 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 That was uncanny how similar he looked to that boy. Do we have proof that they they didn't actually, like, go back in time, that they didn't do a sort of, like, boyhood sort of thing? I I, I had honestly, honestly, I had, I was going to ask the director that question, and I totally forgot to. (laughs) <laughs> they and like they Gerard Butler's had a beard this whole movie so when they shave his face and like Marina Bacard has looked the same since fucking Firefly so she's she's <laughs> she's in stasis so like he does look believably like oh this is seven years younger Gerard and then here's Marina and here's this exact copy of this little boy it was like this is some tremendous flashback acting right now <laughs> I'm in they did this right it's amazing and then that fate it cuts to black and it sits at black for so long before before you get a resolution on their story and so, and it just agon agonizing when i first saw the movie i actually thought that that last shot of them not a shot but that last moment of them of like the thing opening and they're out there and they're all yeah. alive and yeah. you know they see a bird um when i first saw the movie i was like that's that's the one part that i would cut out like i would i, I okay. would have ended it on mm-hmm the the various stations yeah. coming back online and that I yeah, thought right, yeah. well, he's going yeah. to make it but but like that shot of them you know it's like they're all fine <laughs> yeah everybody's fine yeah. <laughs> you know they're like oh yeah we're yeah. Like, excited to see the world and it's like okay yeah. birds are alive cool you know like I was like yeah. I kind of don't want to see what happens after that said the other times I saw the film, I was like, yeah, I, like you kind of need this. And I'm kind of glad it's there because yeah. I, the, the film is grueling enough that you don't want it's it grueling. to end on like, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is what like, happened like, to them, you know, it really, it really, it really like watching this felt akin to watching the wave yeah. or the yeah. quake. Like it, yeah. it felt like that kind of disaster movie. And I, my American movie watching heart was very glad when at the end, it, the pod bay doors open yeah. and it's like, you know, the se- couple hundred people if, in the Greenland base station who like are looking out. It's the first time they've seen this and they're like, well, it's been a long nine months underground. And then like everybody's waiting with bated breath and then a bird appears and it's like, ooh, life. But like I really do like like you mentioned, Bilga. I I loved how they finished finished with like just going around the world and you oh see my god, in, like burning impact craters, mm-hmm. and you hear just like the bases coming online to like Helsinki Helsinki Station. How's the weather out there, Greenland? And like the, you know various accented actors coming on. Like this is the Moscow base station. This is the something base station. I was like, this is nice. I really yeah. like it's it's only like maybe a hundred thousand people are alive, but like this is a really sweet way. Yeah. To let us know that life finds a way. Yeah. But so yeah, that I I that I think that takes us to the end of the reality index with Greenland. I or, just want to real quick bring back Yeah, no, what do you real got? Real quick, double all the way. We're gonna go way back to the beginning. What the fuck did the government think was gonna happen when they started throwing up emergency broadcasts on people's televisions? To be like, oh, hey, by the way, only you three people. Like, <laughs> that's a great way. <laughs> I, believe, I hope you don't have anybody over right, right now. Like, I hope that you don't have any friends. What the <laughs> fuck? Like there had to have been a subtler way to do that. But all, and also I fully believe, I was like, I almost didn't believe it's now having seen like how this shit unfolds. I'm like, <laughs> we wouldn't be that organized. Um, yeah, right. We wouldn't be organized enough to have the Department of Homeland Security know how to get our cell phones and tap into our televisions. That's <laughs> yeah. possible. But I did absolutely, I was like, can, 
you, you guys don't want to do this. And then you're surprised when there's reports that are like, <sighs> we're getting reports that there's <laughs> that some people have been, no, I would have been immediately on Twitter being like, Hey guys, did anybody else get this really weird message? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bam. Like that, that's, that was a big one for me of just like, so- yeah. So, so was that them tapping into that? You know, I saw that and my, you know, the, mm-hmm. my old man brain just immediately went to, well, this must be something that the new TVs are doing. That are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess everybody's phone is connected to their TV now. All right. You know, <laughs> it's just like maybe this is part of a Roku subscription. Yeah, I, was I, like, I, was like, I get my Roku's like a couple of years old at this point. So yeah. maybe I just don't have this is, one yet. I hear it's actually, is this what the 4K? <laughs> what the 4K does. So you know how <laughs> HBO had three different kinds of there's HBO Go, HBO Now, and HBO Watch. Yeah. yeah. If, you get, if you get HBO Watch, actually, that's yeah, the yeah. biggest special. <laughs> yeah, that's government watch. That's that's yeah. government's watching. But yeah, yeah, I just was like, what did you guys think was gonna happen? Like, of course people are it's a Saturday. People are gonna be having right. parties. You don't people think that's gonna home. be a people it's are home. It's not a pandemic. It's not a pandemic. This is not gonna end well for anybody. But I so I did find that really I was just like that and the um the fact that when we get to the dad's house, the news Chiron is on and it's got news Chiron is planet killer, 23 hours to impact. And I, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that is also extremely believable that cable news would just be like, well, if you know, I mean, the, let's go. The, the major stations would have yeah. a whole graphics package. Oh, my God. Planet killer 2021. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right. A hundred percent. We go would out be... with a flash guys. And then of course, Newsmax would be talking about how the planet killer wasn't real. And OAN yeah. would tell us how only Donald Trump could stop the planet. Killer. <laughs> and it was the planet killer was indeed a molten collection of Satan worshiping cannibals who bla- bathe in the blood of babies. And that was the planet killer. Like that yeah. shit would happen in 48 oh. hours. I, oh, yeah. The only thing that this movie was missing was some sort of weird cult. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm surprised that Gerard Butler did not have to at some point fight off like trying to be sacrificed. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would have been too much like 2012, right? Because you've got, you know, because Woody right. Harrelson was like the, you know, the... The truther. The, the truther, truther, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the pickles. Yeah. I gotta say, this movie does really have a lot of those overlapping beats in a way that um, it made me think of that Two Reels podcast. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Anything of that is a double feature of, like, that is a, they really do play off of each other really, really elegantly in a lot of ways. Um, so that, I believe, that will bring us to the end of our reality index, which means we are going to interject for a moment with a moment from our sponsors before we get into the uh, very crucial, uh, what was this movie really about phase, but... I must ask you all, ladies and gentlemen, folks, do you love movies? Do you spend your days thinking about how much you love to watch them? The good ones, even the bad ones everyone told you not to like. It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. Is that where you're? Oh, sorry, I didn't know. That yeah, was, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's new copy, everyone. It's, it's okay. Copy. We we you sorry, know, we're, I had we're cut it, trying I had cut it out off. right on the fly. Yeah, I had cut it off at the same spot that we had done before. Oh, oh okay. Well, then no, you know, I, oh, from super hey. soft t-shirts. Hey, Great. let me talk about their super soft t-shirts because yes. they are unbelievably soft, and they celebrate achievements like the 2001 classic Josie and the Pussycats to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for all of those in support of making Je- Judy Greer America's lead. Yes. Absolutely in support of that. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and to filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks 
and they ship in compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. If the spirit moves you, you can find them at superyaki.com. That's S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I dot com. Let's watch more movies. And make and, sure. Yeah. That's- yes. And yeah, this is at the bottom, and this is an exciting development for us, you guys. <laughs> we have an updated discount code. Please feel free to use the following custom code for the show, Disaster Diva. All caps, Disaster One Diva. No space One word, Disaster Diva. Disaster Divas, get yourself a discount. Yes. Bye. Support Super Yaki. Share that you are a disaster diva. I'm so fucking thrilled that we get our own that we get our own coupon code. Now. <laughs> you know, discount divas, recessionistas, everybody out there, go for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Treat yourself, add it, throw in an extra shirt, get in a baby onesie. <laughs> Superyaki.com. Get your new favorite shirt. Um, so then that takes us into the all-important what was this movie really about? Amanda, since you have dipped a toe in. Yeah. Would you like to extend your thought on what you were saying before or just put a button on that? Oh, um, so I ultimately think that this movie, uh, The Real Disaster is Humanity. Oh, okay. That's where I'm at. I'm just, I watched that movie and came away from it. Like, why are we, why are we going through all this? What's going to be left at the end? Why do we get to survive when the dinosaurs didn't? Like, why mm-hmm. the fuck? What, what's going to survive? White goddamn privilege is going to survive because yep. this movie is fucking chock full of it. So are we really going to watch that happen? <laughs> Like, are we really going to let, just because Roy dies, and thank God that Roy dies in this, and that was one of the few things I felt vindicated in, was like, Roy's going to die a horrible death, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that, but, and not, but he doesn't get court-martialed, and that's a bummer, <laughs> but he's going to spend his last moments at this, like, military base, knowing that he's going to die in a fiery inferno, good yes. for him, but also, then we make it out the other side, and the planet, like, nine months is a really generous that seems short window yeah yeah Yeah, that seems short we think that the dinosaurs it was at least a year um before before the sun was visible again wow yeah and this is twice the size mm -hmm. of of that hype yeah yeah um so the idea that like i genuinely this movie to me was the real disasters humanity because this these sort of planetary resets happen Mm -hmm. and I mean, that's how we mark new geologic ages. Right. Yeah. You know, are these huge mass extinctions. There's been like six of them in the history of mm-hmm. the planet that we know of, or seven, I can't remember. And entire the entire the whole Earth resets. New animals, mm-hmm. new species, new families of species, all sorts of everything. Right. And we're this fucking virus. Amanda is goes- team comet. I came out of this Clark. I came out of this so so to me at the end of this watching it and I was like this earth this what we have seen is humans as animals. Mm-hmm. And yep, the movie is about like the importance of family and you know the the comet is maybe a metaphor for infidelity, but the truth, <laughs> is, the truth is that this movie to me truly was just look at how little we deserve to exist. Because one day Gerard Butler will no longer be on this planet. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But all these fucking humans will be. Yeah. And Gerard Butler was the one remaining thing on this planet that was like <laughs> yeah. about humanity. And it, he's going to be gone one day. And then it's just going to be us still there. I hope there. someone sends this to him. I hope someone sends this to him so he knows that. You <laughs> know that. Gerard Butler, you're the one good thing on this planet. And the rest <laughs> of us are maggots. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how much I want to commit to that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I am. Um, mm-hmm. 
but like I said, this took me to a real dark place um, in light of the, uh, the the attempted coup. So yeah, so yeah, I'll be fine eventually, guys. I swear. Yeah. Anybody else want to take over now and talk about something like a little bit lighter? Yeah, do, Bilga, do you have anything on the tip of your tongue that you wanted to? Well, I will say when I when I when I did the interview with um, Gerard Butler and mm. Rick Romanois, um, the uh, Rick, the director, said, you know, I mean, it's it's a very kind of uh, press kitty thing to say, but mm. it made sense. He was like, he's like, well, there are two monsters in this movie. Like one is the comet and the other is humanity. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And that's kind of what is happening. I mean, the thing about the film is you get to see the best of humanity and you get to see the worst of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hope is that, I mean, and, and then you get to see just humanity just going crazy. Yeah. Um, the idea is, are, are those moments of goodness and kindness and generosity are those enough? Oh, my cat's about to, my cat's about to make an appearance. Um, are those? <laughs> I hear it. Are, what is that? Are, are, that was quite the. No, that, that is that is not that, that is not a small child. I have locked in my basement. No, that, that my, is my a cat, voice. So, so my cat is deaf. Oh, um, so she she, she has a, she has a very loud meow. Um, okay, and she kind of just meows just to let you know that. Yeah, she's there, um, and, and that so to let herself Isn't know. Isn't that, that why any of us create? Yeah. Is to let it to be heard and to know that we're there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she's she's like just like off screen here. She'll probably, <laughs> she'll probably walk over in a in a minute or two. But um but uh where was I? Um no, but so so the, the, the I, there she is. <laughs> let me grab her. <laughs> we see you. We see you. We love You're animal so appearances tiny. on this podcast. <laughs> and she's spotted like you guys. Just to give you an understanding of what's happening right now, she's spotted like a cow. Yeah, it's a sphinx. It's a cow patterned sphinx. Sphinx. She's a. She's a. Uh, she's a. Um. Uh. A Cornish Rex. A Rex. That's a a Rex. Yeah. She's a Rex. Yeah. Um. And she also has this. Um. It's weird. She has like a. She sneezes a lot. She has like mm. a runny nose. She's had this for like two years. Um, like we took her to the vet and they were like, mm. um, we think yeah. she might actually just be like allergic to us. I don't know. Um, actually, animals can be allergic to human, human dander. dander. Yeah. My dog yeah. is allergic to human dander, which is a real, real tragedy. No, we, we, we think that might be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so she, you know, she'll make an appearance meow and then like sneeze six times in a row and then like go back <laughs> just what a cameo yeah um very fun. I, I think of all the podcasts i've done she's probably made an appearance in like 90 percent of them <laughs> um, we're honored yeah um, but uh but yeah no but the thing i was saying was you know i mean the film does it doesn't so much pose this question but you do find yourself thinking like does do these moments of goodness and kindness and generosity on the part of other humans mm-hmm. are they enough to justify the existence the, the survival of the species mm-hmm. and you don't know i mean honestly these people are i mean yeah who knows like who knows how many people survived i mean this movie hasn't thought thought it through that far right <laughs> right right um but it does make you it does make you wonder like what does life look like after this uh i mean that's the other thing in terms of you know, these kinds of events, I mean, even things like, you know, the Krakatoa explosions yeah. that mm-hmm. happen every, you know, few hundred years, um, you know, the, the effects of that uh, last years, mm-hmm. right? I mean, but a lot of yeah. some people believe that the Dark Ages may have started yep. because of a Krakatoa explosion, you know? Um, so, yeah. 
I don't know where I'm going with that, but <laughs> nowhere good. <laughs> no, no, I think it's, that's a, that's a very relevant kind of, piggyback on top of Amanda's team Clark position. Yeah, it's it's the same extension of like, well, is humanity worth saving? And which is why I kind of like that this wasn't a movie about, you know, like I had go what before I actually before I saw basically your review, I was like, ah, oh, this is gonna be great. It's gonna be Gerard Butler punches a comet was kind of like right. what I thought this movie would be. When you hear this billing, when you see yeah. the title, like you assume it's Gerard Butler's gonna fight a comet. Um, and I love that this wasn't an avert disaster. This was a survive disaster movie because of the yeah. fact that it does really bring up that question of like, do we deserve to survive? And, you know, I mean, Gerard Butler cheated on his wife. Like he's not, <laughs> these are not sinless characters. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I think that that's a good piggyback on that. I think the film does a good job of balancing that kind of stuff mm-hmm. with enough realism without going too far into like some films. I mean, Midnight Sky is a good example of a film that tries very hard to be, I mean, quote unquote, realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, And the problem with that is, one, as soon as you can poke holes in any of it, the the, the whole enterprise collapses. The other problem is it really makes you think about what happens afterwards. And I don't know if you guys have seen that film, but, you know, in terms of what happens at the end of that film and who survives... There are a lot of questions as to what happens next, um, uh-huh, because uh-huh. The, because it's all about um, uh, the um, uh, Felicity Jones. Anyway, I'm going to give away the ending of the movie, but uh, Felicity <laughs> Jones and David Oyelowo um, are, uh, you know, they're coming back to Earth on a spaceship with like a, a few other people. Um, and one of them dies Two two of the others decide to return to Earth, even though the Earth is dying. George Clooney on Earth warns them away from landing on earth so they turn around and go back to this to this moon of jupiter okay. that they have discovered can sustain life right okay. so basically so and and uh, and oilowo and um uh, uh and uh, felicity Felicia? jones yeah. are they're not married but she's pregnant with his child okay um so the idea being that these two and their child are going to like go go to this moon and like save humanity i'm kind of like how is that going to work exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know yeah. oh, <laughs> there. Right? which like okay. w- w- when you have a movie that sort of tries so hard to be realistic and all these other suddenly you start to think about stuff like that whereas greenland yeah. i think does a yeah. very nice job <clears throat> greenland very different movie obviously but does a very nice job of being just entertaining and just like stupid in the right ways and smart yeah. in the right ways that you know when you do have a question generally you don't think about it too hard you're like okay yeah they, they went about as far as they could with this and uh, you know we don't need to worry about this further you know right yeah yeah like, nine months fine yeah, <laughs> nine yeah. Months, nine, they stayed there nine months they're out the birds are sweet, singing yeah. it's fine you know yeah they gave it a um, college try with nine months okay sounds good yeah, you know and for me i would say what this movie really is really about is uh that there will need to, in the event of a bunker situation there will need to be and certainly will not be more essential workers brought into the fold to um, for as far as who gets to survive that the lottery will like I, I get it. You need doctors, you need structural engineers. Yes. But like the amount of sanitation workers that are not going to get the call for the bunker, the amount of people who work in like social services who are not going to get the call who are like working with, you know, people struggling with like social workers and addiction where these essential people are not going to get the call 
And we just know that even yeah. though they absolutely fucking should. And the people who make the world go round as we live in it now should probably get much more higher billing for the world that we hope to build in the future in lieu of everything else being gone. I, I one of the things I, about three quarters of the way through the movie, all I could think was if this kid survives, I really hope they have ample numbers of that they've just brought. They're like half of these people are going to be psychiatrists. Yeah, I was like okay. half yeah. of the lottery winners better fucking be psychiatrists because yeah. all of these people, but particularly the children are going to be doing <laughs> serious fucking trauma. After yeah. That. Like we're worried about the COVID children. Now times the COVID children times one fucking like, million. Imagine having to tell this small child like, Oh yeah, no, you're never going to see Jenny again. Your friend, Jenny, she died horribly yeah. and the you one survived. Who- you the one who was just screaming in the yeah. street for salvation and your family just couldn't take her and it was the only mm-hmm. thing that they could do. You know, she's she won't be there when you get back. Nope, she's going to be gone. And you aren't supposed to be here because you have diabetes. So you <laughs> yeah. actually have taken the spot of another child who died horribly. Yeah, of a healthy it's okay. child. It's okay, though. It's okay. Yeah. Just <laughs> like, don't have any thought, second thought about that. You're fine. Like that, the level of, I was like, I just, I hope that every bunker has psychiatrists who then get their own psychiatrist. It's just an Ouroboros of psychiatry. Yeah. Like, good Lord. Now I, this takes us into dream casting, but I Mm -hmm. can't change a thing. I'm not taking Gerard Butler out of this. I am not robbing Marina Bakarin of this role. (laughs) I absolutely am not. Um, the, the flashback child and the present timeline child were far too perfectly cast analogous to one another for me to change anything (laughs) about that. Absolutely not going to take Scott Glenn out of the equation. So, and even, even Hope Davis and Roy from the office were bizarrely perfect appearance. So I, I got to leave it all in place. I I can't, I can't change a thing. The Hope Davis thing jumped out at me just because she's a bigger actor than that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and so, well, I mean, as as soon as you see her, you're like, well, something's going to go down because that's, that's Mm -hmm. way too big an actor to be in this part. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, she has to do a lot of acting. Like that character goes <laughs> yeah. through a journey. Yeah. Um, because here she is, like surviving with her husband, whom she presumably loves. I mean, like they like they're kind of okay at first. And I mean, as, as we talked about, mm-hmm. and then that whole business with, you know, w- w- when they come. And actually, the, the other, another thing I wanted to mention was when uh, you know, when they see the 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 wristbands, yeah, mm-hmm. and there's that, you know, kind of long silence before you know we realize what's going on mm-hmm. the, the film does something interesting there because it's kind of like it gives it gives it gives us space in which to think about what he's going to do and mm-hmm. the thing is like our the fact that our minds have to go there yeah. kind of kind of makes us slightly complicit and like, yeah. like it makes you wonder like I would like to think that I would not do such a thing in this in this circumstance, right? right. Like you think yeah. of yourself as a good person who would not do such a thing, um, but like the fact that you have the thought while he has the thought, mm-hmm. yeah. like the film kind of pulls you into that real kind of moral clusterfuck that's going on there. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. also and also her whole initially she's against it, and then you know, and then she mm-hmm. kind of fights him off, and she's like, "What are you doing?" But then eventually has to go along with the whole thing and winds up, you know. Mm-hmm. you know basically dying in the military prison probably like <laughs> yeah. yeah um like i think that's a that's a really like that's a lot to do with these mm-hmm. two relatively minor characters you know yeah, yeah. And, and i think we really get a lot of impression and we get a huge i feel like we learned so much about them so quickly with the fact the moment where he's like how could 
they, when he, you can watch the wheels turn, he's like, how could they turn away a child like that? And his brain goes to, well, if I had been in that situation, yeah, I could have talked our way in. Like this was yeah. a failing. You learn so much about their marriage and you learn so much about how he interacts with the world from the fact that his stance is just like, well, clearly your husband just didn't do enough. And you just completely, and I was like, that's why I, at that moment, when that was kind of his line of thinking, I was like, fuck, she's going to go along with it because that's how he dominates this. Like I can see how he dominates the marriage. I can see the dynamic of the marriage. Mm -hmm. And it's a hundred percent. I see how this is going to play out. And it's horrible. So I can't recast any of it. Yeah. Not a bit. Amanda, Bilga, do you have, do you have dream castings? Well, so I'm going to do something that I, I am going to do this as a 90s movie. Oh, okay. That's, so yeah, that's basically that's as, as you are uh, an ex- you excel in this. Well, so this is and this isn't going to be too exciting because we're going to travel <laughs> back to like 1990. We're going to travel back to an alternate timeline here. Okay. Um, it's 1995. I have traveled back in time with this script before Armageddon and uh, Deep Impact have been made. Okay. So I'm going to I'm going to back to the future biff this situation. <laughs> I'm going to get this movie made. I'm going to cast Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, sure. As Gerard Butler. Sure, yeah. Meg Ryan is going to be his wife. We're going to give Meg a, Ryan a turn in this. That's a gap. Well, yeah, because it's, <laughs> because it's 1995. Because it's 1995. I actually last night was lying in bed, like, trying to do the math on how old Tommy Lee Jones was. And I was like, because <laughs> I didn't want to turn on my phone as I was mentally casting it. And I was like, well, I mean, and I kind of like, I was like, well, he was Al Gore's roommate. And Al Gore was the <laughs> vice president by 1992. So he could have been more than, like, 40. And it turns out he was, like, in his 50s by I was going to say, he definitely was yeah. more than 40. I thought that he was in his 40s. I didn't know. And Meg's know. in, like, the heyday of her rom-com. Yeah, Meg remember, is, remember Meg Al is in Gore? Had run for president four years earlier. (laughs) Wait, in '92? No, I mean four years before he became vice president. He ran in '88. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Oh, I didn't know that. In fact, in fact, Mm -hmm. I believe it was his campaign that originated. I could be wrong, but I think his campaign originated the Willie Horton thing. They didn't do the Willie Horton ad, but I believe they were the first. They started. Oh, they were trying to to uh, in the primary. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Wow. Um, but yeah, okay, no, so we're Tommy gonna, Lee Ryan, and Meg. So Meg Ryan's agent comes to her and is like, Meg, we got you a big role. We're going to get you a chance to be dramatic here. You're going to get to, to cry for your child. We're going to cast Mara, Mara Wilson. <laughs> 34th Street, Matilda It would have been Mara Wilson, yes. And she's going to be the precocious child with diabetes. Okay. And that's how we're going to make 1995 version of this film. And it's going to be a very different film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. But, yeah. Like at one point, Tommy Lee Jones will steal a motorcycle. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's the film. If it were made in 1995 guys. Okay, great. Great. That's, that's how I'm fantasy. Cause you can't change the modern cast. It's a great, yeah, I, I appreciate Gerard, you thinking so no, as well. Absolutely. But I was like, I can't show up with nothing. I have to at least a little bit show up with like an attempt at a term paper. Here. <laughs> are you, are you moving any of the pieces on the board, Bilga? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't change this cast. Uh, there's one thing. It's funny. You mentioned you, you went back to 1995 with it. You know, when I interviewed um, Ger- Gerard Butler and, and, mm-hmm. and Rick, uh, Rick mentioned, um, the insider um, oh, okay. michael mann's the mm-hmm. insider uh it was just an offhand comment but talking about a line from the insider but there was actually something about the insider there that i remembered uh, that reminded me or something about this movie that reminded me of the insider when i saw it which was um the whole thing with um with the, the son being a diabetic mm. uh in the insider so the, in the insider the um the daughter is uh is 
asthmatic. Oh, and, okay, okay, okay. and there's a whole thing where she has to get the albuterol and she has like an asthma attack. And, 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 and I just, I, like, I just kept thinking of that while I was watching those scenes. And even though it's a two totally different things, um, it feels like a, a, a way that to kind of ground a, a character's struggle mm-hmm. in sort of very immediate, like, how do I, like, how, how, how does my fam- family survive? Not just survive generally, but just yeah. like survive these like actual mini crises. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's why you said 95 and Insiders 97. So, um, but, but that, that got me thinking, oh, I wonder what a Russell Crowe would have been like in this part, you know, okay, like yeah, a young yeah. Russell Crowe. But, but like, but what's weird is like back then young Russell Crowe was actually really young and the Insider, he's playing old. Like he's playing a lot older in the Yeah, insider. like virtuosity came out in like what was it, nineteen ninety seven? What is he? Like he looks like a goddamn teenager in that movie. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like this like you know, insider is pre um insider is ninety nine, I think, right? Uh-huh, or uh-huh. Not, um but insider is pre um pre gladiator. You know? Yeah, yeah, oh my yeah. God. Like it's he's true. playing like a tubby middle aged guy with like white hair in the insider, and then like a year later he's like totally ripped. <laughs> yeah. um, he's Maximus Aurelius. Russell Crowe and, and Gerard Butler do kind of have like parallel careers that all like they also have parallel faces where they age in yeah. like weirdly the same way. Like there's, there's something there that's like well, getting stretched along the x-axis and gerard butler's face is getting stretched <laughs> along the y-axis <laughs> as they age so that's what's happening but i think that gerard butler has a quality that russell crowe doesn't have which is that there's a warmth to him like a real a, i mean a, there was some fucking war like is marcus aurelius in gladiator like I oh my god protector I'm not saying, gladiator man i'm not saying that he's not like a warm guy. I'm saying there's something about Gerard Butler's characters, even when he is playing like in 300, there's something there yeah. where you're just like, there's an accessibility to him that I've never felt well, with. It's his magic. Yeah, there's, there's an accessibility there's, yeah. to him as a character where I'm like, I just, it, that Russell Crowe has never had for me in the same mm-hmm. way. And, you know, I don't know what it is, but there is something about that that I just, I think is key for this, for Gerard Butler's character in this, mm-hmm. where he's like, just a dude. I think in 95 though, your leading man. You don't. You do not need him to 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 be warm and fuzzy. Like no. you, got, you get a Russell Crowe <laughs> no, 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 in there, no, and that is what four yeah. quadrant audiences expect. <laughs> right. That's, that, he could have been a Bruce Willis. Like this is absolutely. Sure. I'm with you on that. He doesn't need to be warm and fuzzy. I'm saying for this for the modern era. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. I'm trying to remember. I mean, the volcano, which is a Tommy Lee Jones disaster yes. movie. Oh yes. Um, our first so episode is Amanda's oh, disaster friend, yeah. movie. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is one of my like. I have watched that. I would say easily. 50 times in my life at this yeah, point. Yeah, that's, that's, like, that's really it's, it's, And I'm not a, a movie fun. person. No, I, 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 I really like Volcano. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I prefer Volcano to uh, Dante's Peak. Um, right. It's the, it's, the, it's the Armageddon deep impact question. Yeah, yeah. I don't know Volcano. why. I'm sorry. What Nazi is ma- standing you, making you choose as you get on a train? <laughs> which of your two children you're going to pick in this situation? Like, what the fuck? I, no, but I when, I, when I did my disaster movies list for Vulture, I actually paired those movies. Like, I, like Deep Impact and Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. occupied the same. That's a good idea. Yes, that's Volcano, a good idea. Because it was kind of like I mean, that's also how I saw them. Like I, yeah. I was watching these movies when they came out, and I was like, yeah. oh, these are these are this year's two disaster movies, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was a thing. Um, yeah, which we you know, was, we interrupted your thought about Tommy Lee Jones and yeah, Volcano. Sorry, yeah. To go back to it. No, I was going to say he made a surprisingly relatable. Like I don't think of Tommy Lee Jones as generally a relatable actor, but no. in um. In Volcano, he's surprisingly likable. Yes. Um, you know, 
playing a somewhat unlikable character, but for some <laughs> reason he's like there's just that 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 Tommy Lee Jones I feel like I haven't seen in a lot of movies. Um No, I don't I agree with that. We don't fish out a fish out of water Tommy Lee Jones is often the best because he does bewildered so well. Like yeah. which is why like when in he's best in the fugitive when he's completely bewildered by Harrison Ford's character yeah. because he's so clearly just like who the fuck is this? Like how? Yeah. See, yeah. and I'm I'm a weirdo who prefers US Marshals to uh the fugitive. <laughs> Wow. Wow. The Wesley Snipes special, Robert oh. Downey Jr.'s little piece of shit. Oh, I love, right. right. I love Sam Gerard. The um, the the other thing I was gonna say about uh, Gerard Butler and um, well, and, yeah, I mean, the, the Russell Crowe comparison is pretty good. But but like when I talked when I wrote about Gerard Butler last year, there was something about him. Like uh, I mentioned that in some like I have at various points described him as the poor man's Harrison Ford. And I've described <laughs> mm-hmm. him as the poor man's Liam Neeson. Yeah. And I, I don't think I've ever described him as the poor man's Russell Crowe, but he could absolutely is the poor man's Russell Crowe. I feel like, like he's some... like the, he's the fun guy's Russell Crowe. <laughs> yeah. But like, but like that's the thing is like, he kind of has this, I don't know. There's this, there's this, um, all purpose quality to him where he can kind of fit into all these action movie parts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, He's a Swiss army knife. He's a Swiss army knife. He is absolutely a Swiss army knife action star. He can kind of get away with any type really. Um, And he reminds you of these other guys. He's maybe not as kind of distinctive and doesn't quite have the movie star quality of those Mm -hmm. other guys. Mm -hmm but that's kind of what makes them special. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Cuz yeah. like yeah. even Mike Banning in the in the Has Fallen series, like he's he's like as the the franchise goes on, his his erosion of his body is part of the plot that he's not actually a super soldier, he's not actually indestructible. Yeah. Is like he's not he's not Sparta, he's not 300 is kind of his whole hook. And yeah. he does it really well. So you're it's leaving the you're leaving the cast in place then, Bilga? Oh yeah, for this one? Great. Absolutely. Great. Now, then that brings us to the crucial question of the towering infernos and how many Bilga, how many towering infernos does Greenland get for you? Oh, and you can get fractions. We can do quarters and <laughs> half. Yeah, like only Definitely. a couple of only a couple of floors on one towering inferno can be on fire if you want. Yeah, that is completely fine. I I, I, I think I I think I'm going with 5. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. I mean, you have a, watched it three times in the span of I, apparently two weeks. So no, no, it wasn't over. So here's an here's the thing about how I watched this movie. I will say I, I don't know if I'm actually allowed to mention this, but sometime this summer, um, this this a screener for this movie like showed up in my inbox. <laughs> like it was like you have been assigned a screener to watch Greenland, and I was like, and I had seen the trailer. It's like the same had, way that I was gonna say. Did, did you get it as a Homeland Security yeah. alert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. presidential so, alert. So, I, and, and as you know, the, this movie's release date kept changing. But yeah, um, no. But what had happened was, I had, you know, when, when the trailer first hit, which God knows when this was. I think I tweeted about it at the time, and obviously, I'd written the piece on Gerard Butler, yeah. so people knew me as like a Gerard Butler fan. And then at some point this summer, well before the film came out, like two months before the film's initial release date, the screener showed up in my inbox. And like that night, of course, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm watching Greenland. <laughs> so I watched it. But I don't know, like it didn't come from a person. It came from like the the SDX screeners account. Oh. So there wasn't any kind of like, hey, okay. I'm sending you a screener for for Greenland. And there was no follow up because usually after this, they're yeah. like, hey, what did you think of yeah, Greenland? Yeah, what did you Wanna think? Do yeah. But like, you know, as you know, Jordan, I was doing, you know, I was working as an editor for the print pages of the magazine at the time. Mm-hmm. And so there, were, you know, I would get to see a lot of stuff early because people are like, you know, they're, they're interested in doing like a print 
feature yeah, and consider for pitching print, the ideas. Please. Yeah. So usually something like that. So so I didn't think too much about the fact that I had gotten the screener for the kind of movie they generally don't let people see early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, and I, and I actually told, you know, my editors, I was like, hey, I, I saw Greenland and it was really good. And I, I and at that point, like nobody else has seen it, obviously. I'm right, like, yeah. I might be insane. And it might just be like <laughs> me being like a, a, a Gerard Butler fan. It might but be like, quarantine. It might be yeah, lockdown. I don't yeah. know. I mean, there, there have been several <laughs> movies this summer where I, I got to see them early and I was like, you people think I'm going to, you people think I'm going to be crazy for saying this, but you know, but it, the X movie is really good. This happened with Eurovision, where I was like, I, I might be the only person who likes this. <laughs> yeah. but Eurovision kind of rules. Um, you were an early adopter of yeah. Eurovision, and um, so the same thing happened with Greenland, where um, I just kept talking about it for weeks, and people were like, there, there, there goes Bilga talking about fucking Gerard Butler. <laughs> no, fuck those people. Movie. Fuck those uh, people. No, no, but so later on, the um, publicist, I think emailed one of the publicists emailed me and, and was like hey you know we've got this movie called greenland coming up or or there was some like list of movies they had coming up as oh yeah i saw that and they're like you saw it and i was like yeah yeah i saw it i saw it like a month and a half ago i showed up in my inbox they're like and the publicist was like i haven't even seen that movie <laughs> like this is not authorized yeah exactly it was and it turned out that somebody was supposed to send me a screener for the secret garden <laughs> and accidentally sent me a screener for Greenland. <laughs> that is destiny. That um, is fate. So it was like somebody like, I don't know how this stuff happens, but somebody pressed the wrong button or like picked the wrong tab or something. And I got a screener for Greenland. And I got to see it before like everybody. Um, and I hear, I thought I was like, oh, they they know my work. Right, you know, yeah. they know I'm a drawer. No, no, it's just like a mistake. But I was really <laughs> excited to see it. So by the point that, like then I was like, well, I'd like to interview Butler and the director and whatnot. So I got a screener then again, and then the movie's release date moved. Like literally the day I was interviewing them, the movie's release date moved again. Yeah. So so it wasn't. I mean, I was happy to watch Greenland again, but the reason I kept watching was because the fucking thing kept moving. It was like <laughs> yeah. two months later I was watching Greenland again, and two months later you I was watching chasing, it again. You were chasing down the disaster. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, Amanda, yeah. it's five towering infernos for me. It's five. Greenland gets a full five for me. I yeah was so affected, and I I loved these performances. I got I got everything. I feel like America made a prestige yeah disaster movie with Greenland, and I'm giving it five towering infernos. Yeah, I can't I can't. If I gave the wave five, I have to give this five. That's where I'm falling on this. I don't know that I will be able to watch this again anytime soon. But okay. I okay, that yeah. But I, mean, I like I, but I will be enthusiastically alone. be telling people in the same way that like with the wave, I was like, you everyone should watch this film. It's fantastic. This is the closest we're gonna get to doing that. It's a really, really good movie. We have Amanda a- has not as Amanda has not yet watched the quake, as far as I know, Bill. No, I haven't. Oh. I've been saving it for this for I've been saving it for the podcast. Um, so I have not watched the quake. Not, not, it too not quite is as good as the wave, but, but still good. Still I know good. I'm prepared. I've emotionally prepared myself that like, this is cause you guys, I, we watched that with, was it Kaylin that we watched yeah, that Kaylin with? Corgan. Yeah. And she was like, oh, you haven't seen the quake is worse. And I was like, oh, good. <laughs> we now have a, we have a rare opportunity right now, guys, because it's been months and months. I mean, it's been a long time since we've had a unanimous 
five towering infernos movie oh, wow. and it's also been months since i've you've watched, weighed in on something oh, since I've yeah. weighed in on a movie. are you playing spoiler or the russian you... judge is about to chime in i think yeah. legitimately the last time we had a unanimous four-person five towering infernos was the wave and that's right I gotta say, because by pure happenstance, yeah. I watched this movie because of a choice of people not named me yeah. uh, uh, choosing a group movie. I'm giving this one five Towering Inferno. Yeah. yeah, it's five. It's a consensus five. <laughs> it's a consensus five Towering Inferno. Now, now the, the the one thing about that that that's that's unfortunate though, and I keep thinking about this as well is. Imagine if this film had come out just like during normal times, like it would have been, I think it would have been like a big hit. Like it would have actually been a, it would have been a big hit and like poor Gerard Butler kind of needs like a big hit, Uh, you know, like maybe it wouldn't have, I don't know. Like, I I mean, you never know with these smaller distributors. I don't think it would have been, and I, I I want this to slowly. I my my only sadness on this is that I think this could be a really big on demand hit if it weren't twenty dollars, and if like I think that that could have. Picked up I think it might have. I think it could have been one of those word of like a rare word of mouth one, like where like it has like it. a decent enough second like first weekend. Yeah. yeah. But then it has like a really small drop off in the second weekend because people yeah. are like, you guys, Greenland's actually really fucking good. Yeah. yeah and it, it could have a long maintains. Yeah. In yeah. a way that most movies don't, because it's usually like you drop by like 50 60 percent the second week. I feel like it's it could have been one of those long, long burns. A it long tail, a, tail, if you will. a, a long <laughs> tail, longer than the comet itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you do wonder though. Like, obviously, if if things had been quote unquote normal. Obviously, there also would have been like a, a zillion superhero movies, yeah. and you know, I mean, so who many knows what zillions. else would have been around um, at the time. But I mean, still, this thing has made fifty million dollars in a pandemic on a budget of thirty-five. Like, I don't think that was it's all that their crazy. budget was. Yeah, yeah that's I don't. Great. I don't think it's all that crazy to think that it, this might have actually had. And obviously, Wait, like, it's there's not cumulative fifty million. Yeah, is that global or? I believe it might be global. I'm sure it's global because it opened internationally. Um, it did open theatrically internationally um, when it was supposed to open here. Um, and then, uh, and in fact, there was a period where I was kind of like, they're actually doing something about the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're, they're also shutting down now too, but, um, yeah. but uh, I mean, obviously it wasn't, you know, it's still theaters aren't back to normal in any of these yeah. places. They're just, you know, they're just a little better than us, but um, so that's global without the U.S. It looks like that's it hasn't yeah. apparently been been like theatrically released in the U.S. But I mean, yeah, it, it didn't. It did. It, it hasn't done like the requisite drive-ins and stuff like that in the U.S. It just <clears> went straight to. I I um, said it last night on Twitter, and I'll say it again right now. I watched both Greenland and Tenet last night. <laughs> Greenland was the definitively superior <laughs> film experience, man. And I, I didn't even have a bad time with Tenet. I had a nice enough time with Tenet. Greenland I, I, better I, I, film. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Tenet, um, so, and I've, I've also seen Tenet a bunch of times. But, but you know, I have no problem no, I with Tenet. Yeah, I have no problem with Tenet. Really, I don't even. I don't care if it's confusing. I don't need to know how inversion works. I really don't. Yeah. So, fine, whatever, man. The- but like, <laughs> Greenland, fucking tight cinema right there. I will say the big, the biggest surprise of movies during the pandemic was uh, I I watched Tenet with my girlfriend who is a notoriously like well known Christopher Nolan hater. Um, oh, okay, got it. He does not like his movies. She finds him humorless, which is like our biggest disagreement. And really, I mean, she <laughs> like she works in comedy. She's at SNL. I don't think it's she's allowed to like Christopher Nolan in that sense. 
Uh, but she loved Tenet. She was super into it, and nothing say, has shocked me more. Tenet, I one of my favorite parts about it was the sly, dry humor yeah. that pops up throughout. That was actually one of, to me, the the best, the most successful aspects of the movie was the just like dry drop ins of like, hey guys, that was funny. John David Washington can do a fun little deadpan, and Robert yeah. Pattinson can play I mean, a nice Elizabeth little like. He got like a chance once or twice, and that was very yeah. satisfying. For, for, for all the incredibly Nolan-y things about Tenet, what what's most remarkable about it is is all the ways in which it kind of is unlike one of his movies. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Like it's clearly, I mean, it's clearly obviously one of his movies, but like there's certain things he does in there that it's like the opposite of the things he does in all the other movies. That's a very that good point. I think is fun. Totally. So now that I I diverged us off with Tenet, that was my <laughs> fault. Um, I will I will bring us back around because that brings us to the sign offs, doesn't it, Amanda? It does. So, um, Bilga, tell us where we can find you. Um, tell us what you want to promote. Just this yeah. is your chance to plug and and huh. preen. By the way, uh, I just want to say your interview with Gerard Butler is fantastic. And if anybody's listening, um, if you've watched Greenland, if you haven't, give that a read. It's on Vulture, and it's really a fantastic just exploration of him. Bilga does great interviews, so yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, in terms of like where to find me, I mean, on Twitter, I'm at uh, Bilga Ibiri, uh, B-I-L-G-E-E-B-I-R-I. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I write primarily for New York Mag and, and Vulture, so, uh, you know, you'll find me there. I write a lot, so if you visit culture yes. with any kind of frequency, you have probably read or seen something I've written. I um, feel like you're you are one of the most like you and Catherine von Ehrendonk are like the two biggest offenders of like always having something to say that's like really like either clever or good or meaningful. And then it's like, how'd you like to do a story about that? Just like talking <laughs> yourself into assignments. I, I, I have I have I have occasionally talked myself. Or just like happened to mention something, and the yeah. next thing I knew, I had like three things I had three, three articles I had to write. Yeah. Um, which which is like, which is why I sometimes just don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. All right, and okay. yeah, you can find me at Jorcru J O R C R U on Twitter, and then on Patreon at patreon.com slash cruciola. Obviously, I'm talking here, and I'm also talking on the Ots Tyrion podcast, where you can find me discussing horror movies of the millennium era with my dear friend and the filmmaker, Sam Weinman. Also, right. really quick before before we get to that, Jordan, I hmm. saw Super Yaki tweet out something a little, a little interesting. Oh, right. Yeah. And, you know, if you are needing more of those Super, super Yaki Super Soft t-shirts, there is a collaboration on the way between Team A Simple Podcast and Super <gasps> Yaki. Oh, my God. Is it happening? It is happening. Oh. The, we've seen the mock-ups. The shirts are actually being printed. So if you are a fan of A Simple Favor uh, specifically and Paul Feig movies generally... There are going to be some merch opportunities coming your way. I am oh, so yeah. thrilled for all of us. I am very excited. <laughs> they're good. They're they're lovely. Absolutely. So, Jason, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Halftones, where I'll be uh, earnestly professing my love for comics and animation as I, uh, you know, dive deeper into the world of working in, in animated features. It's very mm. fun, and I love it. Um, and you can find me on uh, Comic Book Workshop, my podcast where I interview comic book creators about making comics. Uh, cool. This week's episode is with Tyler Boss, who's the cartoonist behind uh, the new book from Dark Horse, Dead Dog's Bite. Uh, it's really fun. All right. Cool. And uh, I'm Amanda R. Tubbs, and that's Tubbs with two Bs. And uh, <laughs> I have nothing to promote because unlike the rest of these people, I'm a slacker. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and <laughs> I mean, unlike me, you have a day job, so that's not nothing. Yeah, well, that's I, I have a day job, so uh, if you need to call into customer service for a redacted company, yeah. please you can reach me there. Um, <laughs> and uh, the podcast, you can find us on. Oh, you know what? Before I do that, just a reminder: we have our dumb contest. Very silly contest. Right. 47 meters down that Jordan and Jason have begrudgingly agreed to. 47 meters down DVD signed by me and Jordan pretending that we are Mandy Moore doing our best Mm -hmm. Mandy Moore signatures. She has nothing to do with this. She has absolutely nothing to do with this. This is not sanctioned by Mandy or by Moores. Um, (laughs) But tag three friends on Twitter that you think would love this podcast and you get an entry write a uh, rate or review us on, t- uh, sorry, rate and review us on uh, your podcast service of choice. And you get a second entry if you send it to us so that I know about it. And we well, we well review 47 meters down. We had a great time with that one. It is Absolutely. a fun, it is a good movie. I just don't need a, this DVD. Yeah. It was, an, it was an impulse buy for $2 at Best Buy. There so you yes, go. if you want an entry, uh, do that. And then you will uh, win a you will win DVD. This- <laughs> mm-hmm. of- hey, digital media is important. Is useless. Hard copy media is important. Yes. Anyway, so you can find the podcast for disaster underscore pod on on Twitter. You can find us. You can email us at disastergirlspod at gmail.com. And please remember to rate and review us. It is tremendously helpful. And uh, tag your friends, three friends for an entry to spread the good word, Disaster Divas. Also, mm-hmm. just really quick PSA, because I've, I've actually noticed there have been some emails that go to my personal email, and I'm not sure how people are getting there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, like, it's, my, it's my business email, but like it's I people are finding my business email and That's, directing Disaster Girls huh. emails there, and I'm just really? not really seeing them. Jesus. That's, I'll forward them, but to listeners, yeah. please disastergirlspod at gmail.com. That's where you should email because otherwise it's it's gonna be a while before we see. See, it. this is why right. I'm saying we gotta put this at the top because no one's listening to this right now. Yeah. <laughs> well then right. tell them tell them what we will be listening we will be doing next week, Manda, if we have that pinned down. We don't, so let's let uh Bilga go so we yes. can discuss this. Bilda, thank you so much for coming thank on you so much. late in thank your you. New York night and discussing this movie with us. It's oh, wonderful would, to talk to you again. Oh, there's nothing I would do rather do more than talk about <laughs> Gerard Butler and disaster movie. <laughs> so this worked out. So Amanda, what then, after this blockbuster episode, what do we have teed up for next week? Well, Jordan, we're taking it back to uh, the year 2000. Yes. And time. we're going we're gonna to scale it back a little bit. I, mm-hmm. I can't say for sure, but I have a feeling. <laughs> for the 2000 film epicenter and as in we we were discussing well, well, let me give you the end of this yeah. you as you said we have not we have, done we haven't done an earthquake in a while yeah. i mean icequake doesn't count so we no. really have not had an earthquake in a long time so i thought let's mix it up with some earthquakes so jordan you want to know what epicenter is about i absolutely do does the title is the title an accurate description or is it a misnomer it is but there's so much more so epicenter <laughs> concerns brassy Beautiful Amanda Foster, a down-on-her-luck Los Angeles detective who's been assigned to protect a mobster-turned-state's-witness Nick Constantine from the mob. This was not the intro I was expecting. I know. (laughs) On the night of the assignment, the city is rocked by a devastating earthquake, forcing Amanda and Nick to fight their way through the ravaged streets while being pursued by ruthless assassins and corrupt cops. Oh, my God. So Jordan, just to let you know who this stars because I told you one of the na- the leading names on this, but I saved only one. one. You only told me one. I saved this for you, so you know that Agent Amanda Foster is played by your personal friend Tracy Lord. Tracy Lords cannot wait for this. Yes, Nick Constantine is played by Gary Daniels. 
Gary Daniels and Tracy Lords. Yep. What a what I mean for crime and assassination and earthquake disaster. Yeah. So we've got ruthless assassins, we've got corrupt cops, wow. and we've got a devastating earthquake, guys. I mean, what a how I I am so excited to see how this is all going to puzzle together. I, for one, am extremely excited to <laughs> watch absolutely no one try to solve an earthquake, but watch a brassy yet beautiful, because those two things are, are diametrically opposed. Yeah, so I can't we, wait to see how one can combine those two qualities in yeah. a woman. Yet, yet beautiful, of course. Yep. Hey, look, you can only be one unless you're Tracy Lords, in which case you could be two in this case because her name yeah. is, um, yeah, it's going to be, I can't wait. I can't wait for a main character named Amanda. That really pings that little bit of narcissism there you for go. me. There you go. So excited for all Representation. of Representation. Yes. So that's coming up. And that can, of course, be found on uh, one of our personal favorite websites, Tubi. Oh, Tubi. it's a Tubi special. It's a, it's a Tubi, Tubi special. special. Yes. So there you have it. Incredible so that they haven't fucking paid us. Honestly, <laughs> at this point, why would they? <laughs> like why we have been you know okay, we have no. been giving them the cow for getting the free yeah, they're getting the milk for free goddamn sure. episodes but at some point Tubi, and this this <laughs> let this be a warning at some point we will turn on you <laughs> once we have, have dried up that well once we have milked that last drop Tubi, yeah. we will turn on you unless <laughs> however you sponsor us. Okay. Unless you sponsor us. That, your, days that, are, your days are numbered, Tubi. Jason, Maybe that's a threat, well. but we have... No one on the planet Earth has talked about Tubi <laughs> as much as us in the last few years. I have to believe that's true. I, I have say, to believe You know, that. they follow Bill Gunn on Twitter. He can put... Tubi? The, put, Tubi, <laughs> put the lean on him. <laughs> this is... I mean, yeah. Mm. I got, the threat that once that well has dried up, like, Jason, you haven't been watching the movies on there, so you aren't getting the recommendations of what comes after. <laughs> right. Sure. And I can pretty much guarantee that it's we're never going to well. run out of that well. It's a deep well. There's, every time I'm like, well, okay, I want, like, grisly disaster. And I start to say grisly, and then, like, there's, like, grisly disaster, grisly <laughs> revenge, grisly rage, grisly bear attack. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> grisly Soros versus Sharkatonis. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, let me, here, here's, here's what I'm going to say. Tubi, you have, you have until the summer. <laughs> you have, you're on notice. Otherwise, we stop talking about you. <laughs> I think that Disaster Divas, this is also a call to arms for Disaster Divas. Yeah. Tweet like, at Tubi. Yeah. Or whatever they're Tweet at Tubi. Tweet at Tubi. Start making your voices heard. Start yeah. sharing us. We, we need to be... We need to be a top 10 Apple podcast so that yeah. Tubi can't resist us. No, that's so true. We're like, I'm sorry, Tubi. Too late for that. We're on <laughs> that. Hello, we got that Hello Fresh money now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to we're going to get Cash for boxes in the house. We're going to have Redbox sponsor us so that people can go around uh, getting Tubi. But or yes, Pluto uh, TV. So it's, it's, it's epicenter for next week, everybody. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you all back then. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. That might be cool.com. You never know.